So today, I could not be more excited than I am today, I don't think, because I love cars. And let me tell you the little story about how I know my guest today. So I, a long time ago, met a guy who like was a car broker and I didn't even know what that was. It just seemed so strange and I needed a car and I hate buying cars with people I don't know, like who wants to go and sit at the car place and try and figure out how to buy a car. So he was like, oh, that's what I do. And I said, fantastic. I need this Acura thing and I need this color. And can you please just go broker this deal? Just like a real estate broker would do. And he did it. And this car shows up literally at my house and I sign a bunch of papers and the car's mine. And it was the most amazing experience. And I've never bought a car like a new car that way ever. And I think you can even do it with used cars. So then fast forward like another 10 years, I keep my cars a really long time, I need another car. So I had the good fortune to my other broker had gone away, moved out of state. I don't even know what happened to him. And I had the good fortune to find my new auto broker. So I am so excited for this conversation because I think this is one of those areas that people just have no idea that this job even exists. And if you're a consumer, you have no idea that you can just call these people and they will help you out tremendously. Like it is the different world that we're walking into. So come along with me. Yet another job tour. Today we are talking to Rami Baruti, who is an auto broker. Okay, so here I am with Rami, and I am so excited. How are you? I'm good. Good, good. This is a really, really cool day because we get to talk all things cars. Love it. So if you were to tell me what it is that you do, what would you say that you do? I would say I am a mediator between you and a selling dealership. So you explained it pretty well in your intro. Uh, As an auto broker, basically my job is to do everything for you. You know, if you're not the type of person that likes to go into a dealership and go through the back and forth haggle with the store and all the, you know, the old school methods that the dealers use to try to maximize their profit, you know, my job is to kind of get through all that, speak directly to management, directly to people that have that bottom line say as to what, you know, their their deals are. So, you know, the customer or the consumer that knows exactly what they want and doesn't want to, you know, go through that usually calls me and says, look, this is what we want. Here's what our purchase plan is in terms of a buy, a lease, a cash deal. Uh, here's what we want exactly in terms of color and options. And my job is to find it and then kind of structure accordingly to what their preferences are. You know, I am essentially an outside sales rep, so I can work with any dealership I want. That enables me to know which stores or work with only stores that are the most, you know, competitive, the most aggressive. Uh, Obviously, everything is based on relationships that have been prior, you know, established over years. So, you know, I call, if you ask me specifically for a car, Depending on that car, I call a source that I know is going to give us the best deal. Some vehicles, you know, whether it's a Toyota, a Honda, a BMW, a Ferrari, some dealerships are more aggressive on certain models. So just, to, you know, to say one store is aggressive on Toyota in general, it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes they're more aggressive on certain Toyotas and than others, you know, depending on allocation, people don't know that. So there's you no, know, there's we have no idea. Of, we don't know any of this, right? So that's, I mean, it's it's really it's a matter of kind of using my expertise to make sure that you're getting the best possible deal. And instead of you going to a dealership and working with a sales rep on the store, who usually obviously works for the dealership, trying to maximize yeah, got their, their profit. Own agenda. Yeah, my job is to work for you 
and to get you what you want versus trying to put you in what they want to get, you know, put, you know, what they want to sell. Right. So it, there's, you know, there's a lot of things. There's so many, you know, uh, variables in a deal structure that people don't think about. My job is to kind of like check them off one by one and make sure you're getting the best possible deal. Okay, overall. let's get to how many things there are because I want to do a couple, a couple little things. Sure. So. First of all, to think about what it is you do and then why it is you do it, how you got to do this, how, who succeeds in this, all, all these kinds of things. Because like even what you just rattled off there yeah, and like it's a lot, it's a lot. you know, it's, yeah. that's, I feel like that was like a lifetime's worth of, of skills and build you, up yeah. and right and expertise really. So, so give us an idea. Just I want to go. I want to kind of separate so, the conversation out a little into like the consumer side, right? Sure. And then also on your side. So, if you want to start and just tell us how did you even start doing this kind of work? So when I was in school, I was actually I was a uh, you know I was a full time student at UCI. Okay. And I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. Who so, does? Know, That's taking, just the whole point. Yeah, and exactly. I, I mean I was I was taking courses in social science and in business and undergrad. Okay, you know, when you, but when economics. you went to college, did you have a plan? No, honestly, I mean, I wanted to, initially I wanted to be a mechanical engineer because I loved cars. Okay. I've always been a car fanatic. So I wanted to design cars and um, I did a lot of advanced mechanical engineering courses at, you know, in college, but the drafting portion of it just didn't fit for me. I, you know, I'm, I'm very artistic and I don't like being told, you know, formulas. I don't like being restricted, you know, technically. This and that's is really good to know about yourself. Yeah. So, so wait, I mean, if you're the, designing cars, are you saying like on what on CAD and things like yeah, that that exactly, you have to be very exactly. specific? So, you know, we, you know, I was working. I was I was in school in uh, Covina. I was at a you know community college because I was a horrible student in high school. I so love this part. Too. It took me. Perfect. It took me a long time to to kind of you know make it so that I could actually go to a, a reputable school. My you know my both of my parents are you know upper education my dad has a phd my mom has a master's and they expected you know the same from me oh yeah definitely my sister went to uci both sisters actually went to uci so my parents kind of gave up on me when they saw that i had a 1.2 gpa at a high school i never <laughs> went to school i was smart i just didn't go to didn't school go, well exactly no i'm so glad you're saying this yeah. because there's so many times on this podcast where we talk about this because yeah. it's not it's not no. game over it is you haven't found it yet so well, just, see, and i was know, just find too, it. yeah i was distracted you know mm-hmm. and, and as a tr- as a kid i was distracted and i i just didn't know i was good at pretty much anything i put my mind to and that was hard on me because i didn't know what to focus on completely. you know I, completely. I didn't know like if and it, it sounds really a little, you know, pompous, but I, you know, I felt like I could do anything I wanted. Right. So it just made it more difficult for it's me to figure out what really I wanted. It's worse when you're really bright, right? And you're, so you're good at a lot of different yeah. things and your mind moves super fast. Yeah. And so, so you can't really I just, just couldn't choose figure out one what little I thing. To do. I, I, you I know, I, have, totally. I come from a background of engineers and, ar- 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 you know, architects and whatnot. So I thought that was my calling. My dad is in the food industry. And he could have set me up, you know, instantly with a, you know, a, a posh career in, in, you know, in food science. Doing I, what? For, uh, he, food industry, like what would you do? insurance and, you know, for Cheesecake Factory, you know, headquarters in, in Calabasas, whatever it is. He's always been in the food industry and he's, he knows everybody, you know. So gotcha. it's like one of those okay. things where if I would have went down that path, I would have been set up. You know, I could have basically taken over his position and, you know, been living the life of, you know, that that he wanted me to, 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 to pursue, but that's just, you know, it wasn't my passion. I, right. who, who wants to sit there and talk about food? All A lot time? of people do, but not you, but not me. So, you know, with <laughs> exactly. Me, you know, I, honestly, I, when I was in school, I was, um, I was selling model cars because I loved cars. What school? From, like little school or like, no, high, uh, college. So when I was in, I worked full time my whole life basically. Cause my dad and my mom expected us to just work for, everything. are you immigrants? Yeah, my parents are from Lebanon, and they okay, moved so here. Okay, so first generation. The, so you're first I'm generation. I'm first generation. They're, okay, this yeah. is important too. Yeah, I they think. moved here in '71. I was born in '77, 
So I grew up in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where my dad got his PhD. So I was a Buckeye fan. And I'm a Buckeye. Yeah. Welcome to the club. I didn't know that about you. Yes, yes I'm a Buckeye uh, also. <laughs> so once a Buckeye fan, always a Buckeye that's fan. Right. I was born at Columbus, you know, in Columbus. My mom worked for Ohio State University for 25 years. And, uh, you know, I had a choice to either go back to Ohio when I graduated because we lived in Glendora. You know, what brought us out here was, was my say, dad's career. Okay. You know, Vaughn's. So he worked for Vaughn's and headquarters is in Arcadia. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, my parents had moved me when, at the worst time. Like right I was going to say, when did you move? High school. When, right when like I was sophomore year or something? Year, oh, year. even worse. Okay. So I had no friends and I was, um, I hated my life in, in, uh, in high school. But were you totally year. set up in Ohio? I was, did yeah, you like, were you, totally were you nailing it like through yeah, eighth grade? Had, no, through eighth grade, I was a star football player. I was one of the like most popular kids in my school and all the best, you know, yeah, friends. Good grades, everything, like all yeah, that stuff. Actually, yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, and that's what probably did it, you know, in mm-hmm. high school. Is that it's when a really I started, important story. Yeah. I didn't talk to anybody. I went a full year and didn't say a word to anybody. Just listening to Arrested Development. I remember wa- listen, walking around before iPods with my Sony Walkman, you know, not talking to anybody, not right. saying a word to anybody and just hating life. My mom ended up paying me $20 to make friends with my neighbor uh, who had a kid that was bright. I love and this. Bro- and you're like, of course I will because it's 20 bucks. Yeah, it's 20 I'm bucks. Why not? And I actually <laughs> I broke my ass the day that I met him because we were playing basketball and I ended up literally breaking my tailbone. So it was just one of those things where we became best friends. I didn't want to be friends with him because he wasn't in high school yet. He was still, you know, oh, okay. he was gotcha. like eighth grader. But your something. mom was worried about you. We're like all yeah, good moms yeah. are. So, but we became best friends and he, you know, he, he ended up at the high school the next year or so. But yeah, ended up loving high school after my freshman year, you know, because of, because you had, who, how did you meet other friends? I mean, we, you know, I just, I made friends eventually. Once, okay. Because classes I had, and stuff. Yeah. Once taking I started certain classes. I lived in like the nicest area. We were rich. Yep. Kind of, but. You know, I was one of those outcasts who everybody liked because it's all, you know, oh, it's all other about stuff. the money. Yeah, I well, I mean, saying. it's like, you know, my parents, we lived in a nice house. We had nice cars and whatnot. So it was intriguing, you know, for the other kids. Everybody it. wanted to know who the hell is this guy. Yep, I totally But I didn't want to talk to him. So it was like one of those things. But you Once weren't I shy. Friends, Wait, though, you I, weren't shy. No, I just, just I hated my just, life. Yeah, I get it. Okay. But yeah. Total like um, teenage up, angst. Yeah. Once I started opening up, I'm a class clown. So I became like I'm one of the best. Too. Okay. So you are in your, you're in your neighborhood. You're started high school. You just moved. You now have a new friend, but you are not talking to anyone, but people are totally intrigued by this. You're a class clown and now you have friends and what, I started what's dating, happening now? Then I started dating one of the hottest chicks at school. So that kind of helped as well. <laughs> So okay, because you had a really awesome car. No, I think it's because my parents were rich. That's how seriously. That's how kids but are. you're amazing. Come on, do, no, like, do, honestly, what were you doing in high school? You I never wore, like I wore clothes that I bought at a thrift shop. You know what I mean? But like, on I purpose. Didn't care I, on purpose. Yeah, yeah like I, I never, you. I never combed my hair. I was just one of those. I was, I was grunge. Okay, you know, those were those were the nineties. So yeah, then I, you know, I was working at Vaughn's. My first job was a courtesy clerk because that's, you know, my dad worked of at course. the headquarters and he hooked, hooked me up when I hated that job. Why? Why did you hate it? Because I would think that you would like that because you like kind of interacting. Uh, no, not that. I mean, no, you don't. No. Not interacting. Because I would think I was in the grocery store the other day and there were all these kids and I was like, you know, this is probably a really good idea when you're in high school to go and like bag groceries no. or like get a sense. No, of it's so working. much better to, to like I would I would think like waiting tables. Really working in a restaurant. Yeah, because you don't really make. I mean, I made friends, you know, at, at Vaughn's, but you're just. I mean, it's no. It's, it's not more isolating. I didn't like it. I mean, maybe I can't imagine anyone that would like it. But but what would be different about waiting tables? I don't know. I just I don't know. I just think that it's more intimate between you and the, the, your coworkers. I mean, you're just standing there all it's more day. more like a team. Yeah, you're not, there's no back room. You know, there is, but nobody's ever back there. When you're working, you have to go get, like, shopping carts in the, in the 
you by know, yourself. It, by yourself. It's just, it's, I don't know. It's, you are, are you a massive holidays. extrovert? Or are you just, I might be, you I might know. be. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I'm, I'm a like people, people person. I, yeah. I'm a people person, but I don't like people. Does I get, I totally get this. Like, yes. I'm really You're good with people. Extrovert. Yeah. But I just don't like people that much. Yes. Even though that's what my job is, is to like, I t- but really, I totally get this. Yes. Like I did an example today. One of my customers, who's just randomly, he sent me a customer, you know, as a referral and he, he asked me, he's like, Hey, you know, I sent you a customer. Can you send me golf balls to say thank you? I'm like, Who's, who does that? <laughs> who asks, you know, for And for golf, golf balls? I mean, and I know he, they're expensive, very but they're not. about the golf balls he wanted. He didn't say, just send me golf balls. He said, here's the ones I use. Okay. I mean, I bought them for him and send them, but of course. Just, I, I also had to say, well, well, who would say that? That's interesting. Who would ask for golf balls? Anyways. So, yeah, my sister gives me a lot of for like never saying no to anybody. Like I'm, I'm, I, I'm very, you know, yes, yes. Okay, anything. wait, wait. So Customer hold, always yes. But, but is that because you're a people pleaser in general? You're are you a pleaser? Yeah, I would say so. And I'm, I, understand. I think that works for your work, though. Right? It does, and that's the thing is I understand that. You know, what I understand in that regard, you have to always say yes to the customer because one, you know, negative. Review you know, or review. I mean, before when I started this business, there was no such thing as Yelp or Google I or understand. any of that. Yeah, you know, but it was just it was word of mouth, and even that, you know, if if one person says a negative thing before the internet, it, it still could you know be a detriment to right. a, to a, a starting business. So for me, it was always like I have to wow everyone. You know what I mean? And honestly, what got me in the car business was wowing. Well, what got me at the pinnacle of the car industry was wowing my customers. You know, yeah, always totally. Saying, like exceeding expectations. All always. Stuff they yeah. I, would, I would exceed about, expectations right? even how I, gro- I bagged groceries. I, it's Maybe it's just me. I'm very... I think it's you. So let's... It's let me, me understand. But it might be also how you grew up and what you saw maybe. around you. Like what you were exposed to. My mom to. is extremely like clean. And, you know, I'm, I think I'm a little OCD. I, I wouldn't say I'm like, overboard, but anything I touch has to be, you know, perfect. Pristine. Yeah, I mean, if if I'm represented in in what I present, you know yeah, what I mean. Like, I get this. If, totally. if I hand you something and it's it's like half ass, yeah. Well, you're not going to give me like a B plus, right? Like a B I always plus product. A plus. You're not going to be like, okay, here's your but, car, but you know it has this little ding on it. But, but you know, I told the dealership not to worry. Yeah, but about see, it. I wasn't like that necessarily. Well, I kind of was. I don't know. Like, if I put an effort in, I'm going all in with everything. You know what I mean? But if I don't, if I have no interest, then you would say, wow, this guy's like in school in some regard. You could have said. Well, this, this is why I love this story so far. Yeah. So let me just stop because I think what's very cool about your story is to tell kids because what I expect is that the kids are going to be listening to this. If you're 15, 16, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I, I, who could possibly listen to a podcast for an hour? No. But their parents will be. Yeah. And I want to tell parents right here and now that this is what happens for kids though too, is they get stifled in education in ways that if you get turned off in the education, I always say in high school, they say, these are the five things that you get to learn. You better love the, one of these five things, you know, and you're screwed if you don't, right? So then you get to go to college. And then if you're lucky enough to have made it that far, yeah. you can start getting it a little more expansive. But even then you have to choose the right classes. You have to find mm-hmm. the right mentors. You have, like everything kind of has to fall in line. So, so much of this podcast is telling people there are so many cool things to do and you don't have to fit in this little square you obviously did not fit in a little square so with your one seven from high school like what happens you can't graduate with a one seven can you graduate i I don't i thought i i mean i did i had i remember though i i had to sit in classrooms because i hadn't put the time in right not just the grade yeah but the time 
Like I had well, to sit okay, in classrooms look, just to say completely. that I've been there. Because you cannot run. I mean, I'm just going to tell people I'm sitting in your office no. right here. I'm looking around at, you know, incredible displays of cars. I just saw an exhaust delivered that was like out of this world. I, I have a full-fledged working office. You don't get to this level of success from running your own business because you're a ding-dong. No, right? So no. this is like I told you, it's not that I wasn't smart, smart enough. Smart <laughs> Right, and I just want to tell care. other. I want to tell other yeah. people that too. You yeah. know, when you're There's, when you're judging people because of you know their GPA or something no, like that, it's a completely wrong. Yeah, don't, I actually scored don't higher do on my like on my SATs than anyone that I knew, and I never studied. You right, know, I, was I like, can. I, I had that the, doesn't surprise me. No, it was one of those things where I just if I'm not interested, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I yeah. was I was 18 my senior year, so I could write my own excuses to leave school. Yeah, and you could leave school. school. Yeah, I was always on the beach. Got it. Okay. Always. So then what, okay, so hold on. From being at Vons, being mm. your customer, what did you call it? Courtesy clerk? Courtesy clerk, yeah. Is that the bagger? Yeah. Okay. So that's like the person, right, who's just there to help. You yeah. Know, like the, they bag, not groceries. someone stocking, but like yeah, who bagging, bags, who bags getting your the groceries, carts. walks you to your car, helps okay. you get your groceries. But you're probably good at that part. I was really good, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and then what happened? So did, did, they so didn't that, fire uh, you. <laughs> did you get yourself fired? That, no, yeah. I was. I remember I was sitting at a Del Taco or a Taco Bell in Newport, and I was... um I was on my lunch break and I'm like, dude, I just, I hate this job. I hate it. So I was with my sister who had met me up for, for, um, for lunch and her, her boyfriend at the time. I'm like, if I see a Ferrari before lunch is over, I'm done. I quit. <laughs> so, cause I always has to relate to some kind of car. So I saw a Ferrari as lunch was expiring. Are you kidding? Which is not like, always, I mean, I guess I know always, we're like, I would be sitting still, in, I, mean, I remember I, I smoked cigarettes at that time and I would be sitting in a parking lot before an exam the next day in college or something. And I would sit there and I'd say, if I see this car, I'm going to pass this exam. Right. Like I always, always had to relate to some to cars. kind of car. Yeah. So I saw a Ferrari and I, I, I called, you know, I called my, uh, my boss. I'm like, sorry, I can't make it back. I'm feeling really bad. Uh, like, like, for, well, we'll uh, for the rest tomorrow. of my life? Yeah. And I'm like, no, you won't see me tomorrow. I'm probably not going to feel good for the rest of forever. So right. I quit. That's how I quit. It was very, you know, bad. But um, <laughs> well, you're also a kid, so we can forgive you. And for at the that. time, though, I was, I was, you know, I started collecting model cars because when I was a kid, I had micro machines and Hot Wheels, and I always had a massive a collection of cars. I loved cars, so I started collecting these these diecast model cars, which, which are awesome. Which I started when I was 17. Everyone was buying drugs, and I was buying model cars. Yeah, these are awesome. Well, are these all spe- are you buy special ones? Were you? Yeah, like, these are very. very I want limited. like this specific thing. Yeah, thousands of dollars tied up into this. But the thing is, I the guy that I was buying them from, he had a kiosk at Santa Ana Mall, and I asked him one day, I'm like, Hey, do you need help? Because I can sell these things. So I ended up selling model cars. That's what, from courtesy clerk, I went to running a kiosk. Okay, okay. This is a really, really important juncture. I want you to stop for one second. Because were you always, because this is the entrepreneur. Yeah. Like, so this is where that comes from. And I want people to get that too. Because as people are unfolding and you, you know, whether you're succeeding grade wise or not, I can't stand it because there's genius in everybody and that's just finding that. So did did that guy what did he what did he say like yeah i don't know so, what i'm yeah, doing like no i need i need help so and he knew that i was passionate about it he knew that i knew how? everything just, about oh, it oh cuz you were because like because i was a collector i was buying okay. from him so i mean he oh, he saw me like every other day oh this is the guy yeah i would buy my cars from him so, so when you're saying can i help do you need help selling these cars you meant the actual cars that you would be buying yes okay so of course you can so sell he them. gave me a job i was a perfect guy for the job because i was a kid thousand percent you know he didn't pay me anything hardly right but um, you loved it but i loved my job yeah. loved it. at that time he was, he was working with people but i was talking about things i loved you know what i mean and it's harder to sell a model car than it is to sell a real car because these are hundreds of dollars and, people and they are, don't do anything and it's a toy to most yeah. people but to me it's like a work of art you know Completely. what i mean it's a, a representation of something so gorgeous and so beautiful so, like, for me, I would sell hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of these model cars. And one day, my sister's like, dude, you need to make real money. Go and get a job at a car dealership. And I'm like, ah. 
How old are you at this point? Like 19? 17, 18? Oh, young. Okay. No, I was, no, I was probably 19. 19 okay. sounds right. So I just... And you weren't in college. You weren't I like, was still in school because it took me eight years to get my GD, my GED, you know, out oh, of... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, okay. I, after I got out of high school, it took me a while in community college to get to transfer to an actual school okay. because of my... Grades were so bad in high school. So it took me probably, I graduated in, I gra- graduated high school in 96. I got my degree in 2004. How many yeah, years was that? eight. Yeah. And it was just a bachelor's yeah. degree. I didn't get no, like, PhD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but I was working full-time throughout that entire period. Of course, so. and this is why. This is entrepreneur's yeah. work. I, it, I Yeah, so I worked yeah. and worked and worked. But at that time, when I was doing the model car thing, I loved working. I didn't hate it like I did when I was working at Vons. And I saw, I started to see, wow, you know, I'm passionate about this. This is something I can actually do. I didn't know anything about brokers. I didn't know anything about car sales, nothing like that. So, right. I, you know, I ended up, my parents had bought a Buick and the guy that worked at the dealership was Lebanese. So oh. he's like, my parents like, hey, my son loves cars. You need to, you know, you need to hire him or, or interview him and maybe do he something. can sell real cars. Yeah. And my sister's like, dude, you need to make real money. You can't be living life, you know, on selling Hot Wheels or whatever it is you're collecting. So, you know, I, the stigma to me even about selling cars was like, I don't want to be a car salesman. I don't want to be that so guy. This is so interesting. Yeah. You mean, you know you mean, mean? going to a car yeah, dealership? Yeah, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. Because so, I, I think for people who aren't in the industry yeah. is that you think, I think, I can tell you, like, I think if I'm going to show up at a car dealer, I, I kind of have this, how do they get this job? Were they going to get some other job and well, then they just ended up coming here instead? You well, know, see, and the d- are it's they like, just waiting for me to come on the lot vultures? Yes. Are they looking at what I'm wearing to yes. decide how much they're going to charge me? Yes. You know, all that kind of stuff. Well, see, and that's what I learned. It's like every stigma that people have about car salesmen mm-hmm. is actually on point. Accurate. It's pretty sad, but it is. They're uneducated, most of them. Mm-hmm. They come from all walks of life. Most of them don't have much to offer in terms of any Knowledge other base and all that. Yeah. And they don't even know what they're selling most of the well, time. They're I mean, just yeah. trying to, I mean, they've been trained basically like at the first store I ever worked out and it, and it coincided with every other dealership I worked at. They train you in, in how to approach someone and read someone just by how I they see. shake your hands. I see. They, t- they train you on what t- trigger points a customer has as to what, you know, where you can, you know, pull as much out of that person as possible. If that person is a, you know, uh, uh, you know, someone aggressive versus someone that's passive. They ch- they train you in all of that. So when you w- come up to a lot, they're sizing you up yeah, exactly completely. like you feel it. You feel it when you get onto a dealership lot, and they're actually calling you as an up before you even get to the lot. You know, they're all those guys that are standing there on the lot. They're literally saying red up. You know, right. if you drive a red car, you're you're they're call- they're like you'll get they'll get into fist fights if a guy is trying to take someone's other you know someone's customer who they called so it's like it's, it's okay but this is throat it's disgusting it's exactly what customers think is happening is happening, happening. To but for you going there as a job i didn't want to work it. for you at all yeah and i didn't like it and <laughs> i would like, tell was, and i would wait, tell did you get the job then at the at i got the, the job yeah he got so i got the job it was a, it did was you a, know anything about those kind of cars no i mean i know i know everything about most cars but it was one of those things where i got the job i wasn't you know uh in love with the brand in terms of Buick, GMC, Pontiac. That's what I sold okay. as my first as my first dealership. But um, the first car I ever sold was a GMC Denali. I remember it. And, it's an awesome car, though. Yeah, it's an awesome car. Yeah. So I mean, eventually, I started to love things about those what cars. I sold because yeah. I started to like see that they weren't as bad as because I always thought Pontiacs and, and Buicks were pieces. And a lot of them were, but I mean, the GMC line was was pretty, you know, yeah. significant. And then I ended up the dealership bought a Cadillac store, and I ended up selling Cadillacs. And at the time, Escalades were the hot. Everybody wanted Escalades, so 
I started selling caddies. And I mean, at, at the Cadillac level, you're dealing with a different consumer than at the Pontiac and Buick level. So you're dealing with more, you know, more money with yeah. customers. And I, you know, I was, I was the top salesman I was from the moment I started, so you, I started exactly. top salesman, but I had my own methods. You know, I didn't do it the way they wanted me to do it. You know, I was always kind of working the customers, you know, to, to get them what they wanted. But instead of working them, I was working the desk. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I trying do. to I get exactly them the you most, you yes. know, trying to get them the best deal versus trying to get the most money from the customer. So the, you know, the, the dealership hated me to some degree because I sold so many cars, but I wasn't maximizing their... But you should have been on point, though, in terms of the aggregate money that you're making. You should have been making them more money, even if I you're was. discounting. I was, but You see, know, because the volume should have made up for the discount. Yeah, and if you're, and I mean, if you're a person thinking about getting into the car business, the problem with the car business, and if you talk to anybody in that industry, they, they have pay plans, and they, and they kind of try to entice you to hit certain quotas based on either days on the lot or cars that they're, they're trying to move. But, you know, I was always the type that if they put on like a pay plan in place where you, you know, you could maximize and make so much money if you sold certain cars, I would hit it always the goal. But they would change the pay plan that next of month. Of course, this is And sales. I wouldn't make any money the next yes, month. This is totally sales cycle. I know. Or if you if you made a certain amount and then they'd raise your quota or change yeah, yeah, it or whatever. Always, so always trying to keep yeah, you hungry. I get that. And, I, and I didn't like it. You know, it was just like, dude. I mean, Pay me or on. don't. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I remember having a lot of conversations with my, my boss who just didn't like how I was doing this. He actually said it. This is the way things work. This is the wheel. You cannot change the, the way the, wor- the world works. And I thought to myself, yes, I can. Yes, I can. So I was like, okay, well, that's how you work, but that's not how I work. So right. some lady bought an Escalade from me, loved me, you know, knew that I was really trying to help her and not the dealership. And she knew somebody at Fletcher Jones. And Fletcher Jones at the time was, was the pinnacle of automotive sales. You know, anyone that got to Fletcher Jones was probably like the best they of the best. They sell a lot of cars over yeah, there. Yeah, it's yeah. like a Toyota dealership selling Mercedes-Benz. But yeah. um, she knew Ashley Harris, which was one of the top managers of, uh, of that dealership. And she, she said, hey, if you ever want to get into a, another dealership or a nicer store, I know somebody at Fletcher. She asked me, what are your aspirations? What do you want to do? And I told her I might have mentioned Fletcher because I live right across the street from Fletcher. So right. I knew it was one of those you know dealerships and i had heard you know that top managers even at like management level will go into sales at fletcher because to the money is fletcher. there yeah okay it's like it's uh, it's i mean it's an opportunity that most Huge. people wouldn't yeah wouldn't walk away from can you just tell us okay but just to give people an idea because this is an international podcast so people yeah. can be listening from everywhere so fletcher jones is a mercedes-benz dealer here now they sell audis Audi, and all yeah. kinds of yeah. other stuff i think do they have a maybach thing i think they, they have do, i yeah. think they have everything now it's the largest mercedes-benz retailer in all of uh north north america yeah so then yeah and i mean and we're talking hundreds of cars 700 to a thousand units every month every month and that's and that's toyota honda kind of numbers right but it's highline mercedes-benz and it's because it's in newport beach california which is like the, also you know one of one of and the it's, it's capitals extremely of, well run and they do a great job yeah they do a great and job and top are, management there is unreal they're, yeah they're the best of the business but i mean the sales guys are sales guys it's the same and they're okay. like cutthroat shark tank you know they'll they they smell blood and they you know as me, me as a ch- like a child basically going in <laughs> uh who had just how old were you when you went to fletcher then 21 I okay i was 21 so you know, I, I went and I remember I met with Ashley, this this guy. He he liked me and he said, But Look, he's really seasoned. He's been in the business for what? Like, years. Okay, years, right. Yeah. So this and, could be a really good mentor for you. I'm wondering yeah. if you're going to take this that way. Well, I looked at it that way. Absolutely. And then, I mean, he set me up with an, an interview at Fletcher with all of the management, which was 12, you know, 
top tier top guys in the industry. I did a roundtable interview, which I'd never wow. been in. You're 21 you know, years experience. old. Yeah, I'd never had that experience before. But when most I got, people never go through their whole career and never have that. No, experience. I know, and it wasn't. It wasn't. I wasn't necessarily. I wouldn't convince myself an interviewer like somebody that you know was good at it. But I think I like floored them because I answered questions that they didn't even had asked me. You know what I mean? Right, like yeah. I knew the industry. I knew what they were were expecting. You know, from guys. So. They like what the, kind of questions? Just let me give an idea of in this because this is a pretty significant interview. Like what kind of stuff? Did, remember. You I, remember anything that kind of like put you back and you're like, wait a minute, let me. Think nothing about put what me I back. That's there. the thing. I think that's why. Were they asking you like, what are the numbers you did before? How yeah. would you sell something like yeah. this? What if what if you had these objections yeah. to buying a car? You know, like that kind of stuff. Like how are you getting around? Well, the see, that's objections. The thing. Like with me, it's with with me. I would always. I, I stress that with me, it's always the customer first. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and, and with them, I think it's the same. It's the same. They have the same philosophy. Right. You know, and I, I kind of researched a little bit about the dealership and what their principles were and what, you know, they how, got they, them how they I mean, ran. they've been in business for decades. Yeah, they're one of the few dealerships at that time. I don't know about now because the Internet's so different, but they would never give a price over the phone. That mm-hmm. was their number one policy is that you do not get a price unless you come on our lot. Right. You know what I mean? And now I don't think they can succeed in that with that well, philosophy. They probably have some. I don't know. They can't. Yeah. There's no way they can. Right. With the way not with the, their the entire inventory, run. but maybe they have some that they put yeah. on. Yeah. So I just I knew how they but ran But I get their, that because what that says is that we we are a relationship. We yes. are not a, a commodity. Right. So it's and about that's the what relationship. I, what I would stress is that I, you know, I knew that. I knew that the relationship was the most important mm-hmm. thing with customers. Follow-up was the most important thing. CSI, which is customer service index, making sure that the customer is always satisfied, not not asking for satisfaction, yes. but making sure they're satisfied. Completely, you know, because a lot it's of like being getting ahead of them always, being yeah, always ahead. That's of the them. thing. I was I was always ahead of it. each question they were mm-hmm. going to ask, so they they knew that I knew what I was talking about. So they offered me the position, but they said I had to leave school. I was still a full time student at that time. I was at UCI. I had finally gotten into a real school. And my parents are like, you are not leaving school. Completely. To I be can a see car this salesman. as a parent. Yeah, you are not leaving school. And I'm like, mom, you don't realize how much this of an opportunity. opportunity this is. I have to take this opportunity. So I left school and I took the position. What and year I, were you in school? I was like, I had one year left. One year to graduate after like seven years of putting yes. investment this into it. like a, a parent's nightmare. I'm yeah. sure your mom had like chest and, pain. For, and I'm like, mom, this is like weeks. NBA. This is like a kid in, it high, is, you it's know, exactly in high school. Right. And this is like him getting the opportunity to get into NFL or NBA. Honestly, a thousand this percent. Is what it is. Yes, exactly. So she still didn't and understand. not only that, it is like getting getting an MBA yeah. to go there Into rather the than staying industry. in school. Yeah. Having that on my resume was like, completely. dude, you don't understand. You have to let me have this opportunity. Right. And that, we talk about this a lot because the idea is to get your education somehow. Yeah. Right. So some people get their education through college. Yeah. Some people get their education through working. Some people get their education through making a lot of mistakes and then getting there. Whatever. Yeah. But it's an education. So as long as Absolutely. you're learning and growing and getting better, it's yeah. an education. But the thing is, when I left school, I went to Fletcher. And this was the first time I was selling cars while I was not in school. So when you're in school and you have a job. You feel yeah. like that job is just a job. Second. It's yeah. not a career. Right. It's not until you go. You this know, is once, a really important point, yeah, too. Once, yeah. I, once I left UCI and I went into Fletcher and it was my my career, mm-hmm. that's when it kind of dawned on me. This is you, dude. This is what you're going to do. You, there's no there's excuse no anymore. Yeah, you're yeah. Not, you, can't tell, you can't tell somebody, I'm still in school trying mm-hmm. to figure things out. You figured things out at this point, supposedly. Right. So, you know, I kind of had a like this con it, it, it hit me like psychologically where I don't know. I wasn't happy the entire year that I was at Fletcher Jones. Oh, I was miserable. Interesting. I wasn't happy. I, I had a girlfriend, you know, that I was with for four years. We were going to get married. I didn't do it. It wow. ruined my relationship with her. I, you know, I, do you I think knew it was I, just like too much adulting all at once? Or I, like, I don't know. I knew my parents were against it. So yeah, I'm, I'm a very I'm a a family pressure, person, yeah. too. So the pressure from my family side and then just the pressure that they put on you yes. at that level. Yeah. 
it's just like you know when you get into I think. I don't know. Sometimes it's just well. You, I think a lot look of sales at life, jobs like are I like always this look too. at life like life should be a combination of work and happiness. Yes. It cannot all just be work, right? And there it was all work, like to the bone. like you were t- like stressing Exhausted. at night and thinking about was, well, how am I going to make yeah, my numbers sleep. and how I, am I going to get this done? My blood pressure was was like skyrocketing. I gained so much weight. Everything okay. about my my life was just falling apart. So. It was because I think I had left school and I knew that, you know, in that back of my mind. And your mind, parents, like, are yeah, talking in your, even though they're not saying anything. And the money like was there. I was making tons of money. Yeah. I was making tons of money and, I, and it was great, but money is kind of a grind, though, actually, a, as I'm hearing you describe it. So if you're thinking that that's, if you don't have, if you didn't have, like, another bigger plan, yeah. if you look at that and you're like, grind, 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 you kind of probably felt, like, trapped. Like, when am I going to get out of this grind? Yeah, and, and I mean, I, have if I would have stuck like with said. it, I probably would have made much, much, much more money than I make now. Yeah. But I don't know. You don't I mean, know. Based on where I was at, you know, you know, personally. And at what cost? Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. Is it yeah. worth it? Is it worth it to, mm-hmm. to make all this money and be, you know, this guy? Not, not have who a family like. and not have, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like who I was. And I mean, at Fletcher Jones, it's a different kind of clientele. You know what I mean? It's, it's that posh, yeah. you know, like that. And I'm not, I'm a little rough. You know, even okay. though my parents are wealthy and I, and I have money, I'm not, I, get I don't fit in when it, when it comes to like, if, if you're at like a, at a, like a, what would you call Fancy it? Fancy schmancy, like yeah, um, canapes yeah. at the, on, the, on the buffet. What's that when it says amuse-bouche on the invitation? Yeah, you're like, I'm, I'm out. Like, no thanks. Like, I remember the <laughs> parties totally. that they did. The, the Christmas party was at yeah. the Ritz-Carlton. Everything was like super nice. Super yeah, posh. It's an amazing company. And I just, uh, I don't know. I didn't I didn't like it. I, I, even though I just, I don't, I, I, it's so fake to me. You know what I mean? The way I, the, what I was looking at and what I was, what I was a part of. That's what I felt like. I was pretending. I wasn't me. Mm-hmm. So, I left. I quit. And I mean, they it re- they didn't want me to leave. I bet not. But you're probably doing really well. But you quit to- cold turkey. Cold but- turkey. I, I left. And guess what? I, I sold luggage at Fashion Island. You're probably amazing Eventually, at it. I was. But I sold luggage. I was a luggage salesman. That's the job I took after Fletcher Jones because I wanted to go back to school and finish my degree. And I wanted yes. to just do it. So I went and I went. And I'm like, dude, I'm just going to get some stupid retail job. And I'm going to finish my degree and then figure things out. Because right. I can't live like this. So I went and sold luggage <laughs> at, at Benchley Luggage at Fashion Island, and then I, I finished my degree, finally. And uh, I stayed at the Benchley Luggage store for a little bit. They probably wanted you to stay forever. They wanted they me to stay forever. Completely. She was helping me. I was the best salesman she'd ever seen. Yes. So I ended up running a, a – after that, I ran a Nissan dealership fleet department. And fleet departments at that time were internet fleet departments, and the internet was just starting to become a big part of the 90s. auto industry. So at the at the time, you know, what is this? Ninety what? It had to be two thousand and four. Oh, two thousand and four. Okay, yeah. Later. So okay. you know, this is this is this is two thousand. Because if I graduated in two thousand and four, it must have been. What like was your degree? What did you graduate with? Social science economics. Because um, UCI doesn't offer undergrad business at the time. They didn't offer a business. Undergrad, okay. So it was social science economics. That was the closest thing I could find. Yeah, but that's a thinking degree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, it's I a people. A, de- it's a people's totally, degree. You yeah. know, so I learned a lot. You know, yeah. honestly, and it all was relative. You know, it all related. It's a bit, to, really, it's a great degree for people who love big picture, who love yeah. kind of like figuring yeah. out the big picture and then yeah. dealing with people and communicating, connecting, and, I mean, and all it, that it's, stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of it that that relates to business. Obviously, but I mean, I took you know a lot of business courses. I almost did a master's, but I, I mean, I, I couldn't. At that point, I was done with school. But when I was at school finishing, I was working at a Nissan store, and I was running the internet department. And that's what I was where I was introduced. But to what them. happened between the luggage? How did you get to Nissan from luggage? You just decided remember. it was time to like. I think I bought a Z. Oh, there at the you time, go. I nice. bought a, that's cool. I bought a three fifty Z. 
And that's what got me into a Nissan dealership. Okay. I went to a Nissan dealership, bought a Z, and I'm like, you know, if you guys need a car guy, I was in the industry a while back. And I had Fletcher Jones on my my, Completely. my It's like having Harvard on your resume. I, could've resume. I just wanted people to understand what that is yeah. in this industry. It's like I could have worked anywhere Harvard I wanted. Or, in the car you know, industry, yeah. I could have gone anywhere. Yeah. You know, I kind of took like a, a leave of absence with that luggage thing. I kind of like wanted a break. Mm-hmm. But when I decided it, if I wanted to get it back in the auto industry, I could have gone anywhere. And I was driving yeah. a Z, so I was like, all right, you know, and I'm just going to go. Yeah. Work at a Nissan dealership. So I ran their, their internet and their fleet department, and that's Can when I was Can you explain introduced. to people, what does that mean, fleet department? What does that mean, fleet? So every because dealership I know, is, like, your fleet director. Yeah. What are you, fleet? So fleet departments are the, the part of the dealership that deals with larger like customers if Hertz, or clients. If Hertz wants to come in and buy a bunch of Nissans, they deal with the fleet department. Right. right? So if, or, if, like, if it's a coach builder, like somebody that's building, you know, limousines or somebody mm-hmm. that's buying a ton of trucks for a company, you know, con- construction. Company cars, stuff like that. Company cars, like, flight, like Cheesecake Factory does, uh, BMW, you know, they have a promotion where any manager of, a, of an actual um, store gets a three series BMW. Nice. Any, you know, high, high line VP, five series BMW. So they, wow, they go okay. hundreds of cars through certain stores and they want to do it quick. So that's true fleet. But what they were doing at the time when I started in 2003 is that the internet was coming, you know, up to be, you know, a lot more of a part of the car buying process. People could, you know, research tons of information. A lot of people were internet buyers. There was leads sources yes. like Auto by Tell and yeah. all this stuff that were new to the industry. So they had to cr- kind of, you know, morph into the internet and fleet department. So you would see that, you know, it was that side. And then there was the old school traditional sales side of the dealership where if you just walk on the dealer lot and you have no, yes. you know, no information yep. from the internet, you know, you're not, you're just a Joe Schmo customer. You go to the, the sales side. Anyone that knew what they were talking about as a consumer, anyone that had already been shopping on the internet, anyone that put in an internet lead, or anyone that was representing a corporation or company, they would go to the fleet internet side. And that's so what even, I was doing. Okay. With. So even the people who just said, like, oh, I, uh, on the internet, but just because they came in from the web, I just yeah, have to, to tell people, internet. like, this is a whole different world. Like, whole don't think of it like now, because now you'd be like, are you crazy? Of course you're going to go on the internet. Mm-hmm. You buy your car in an app these days. No. It's very different. Like, this is. Now that's like the biggest part of the yeah, dealership. At that time, it was the smallest part of the dealership because the majority of the consumers. Consumers were the customers walking on the lot, yeah. not on off of the internet, not representing a company. So, but when I was running the internet side and the fleet side, that's when I was introduced to the whole concept of brokering. I didn't even know brokers existed myself at this point, and this is years into selling cars. So even from Fletcher Jones, all that you didn't no, know anything knew, about a broker knew anything about because brokers. you weren't at the you weren't in the fleet side the of Fletcher. Side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it wasn't until I I went and was running an internet side and a fleet side that a broker called me and they were like, "Hey, I need a price on this," and I'm like, "Who are you? Who are you? Yeah." He was like, "Well, I'm <laughs> representing this customer that wants this." I'm like, "Well, what does that mean?" He's like, "I'm a broker." I'm like, what the hell is a broker? He's like, oh, I sell cars. I could just sell whatever car I want any, from any dealership, and I deal Did with he, was you. Was he like, or what are you, would you start yesterday? Like, yeah, how do you not know? Because I was running a fl- is... an internet department. I had no idea what and a broker And you've been in was. the business around it. For, exactly. Yeah. That's incredible. So I was like, what? Right. <laughs> so it's like, what? I was like, well, there's, that exists? I'm like, okay, that sounds kind of cool. But I had really good friends at the Nissan dealership I was working at. All the top managers, we were great friends. What kind of money are you making now? Just so I can give people an idea of like... 15, I, 20 grand a month. Okay, nice. Yeah. I mean, now. Yeah. Not when I started. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, you know, that's years. I totally, yeah. I know, but I just like to give people an idea, like, as they go along. Like, when you're at Fletcher Jones, like, how much money can you make? I was making, like, at that cars? time, I was making, like, seven grand a month. Okay. Six, and doing, like, a as a really good salesperson. Yeah. Just to but give people was, an I idea. I mean, that was a lot of money. Long, and it was a long time ago. Back those days, yeah. Yeah. I, I, coming out of selling model cars, making, like, 1200 bucks a month. Yeah. You know, totally. that was a lot of money. I was like, yeah. yeah. But, um, 
yeah, now I make good money. But the 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 whole concept of brokering had just been introduced to me, and I was in Vegas. I remember I was in Vegas with with, with two of my buddies, and we didn't like working at a dealership. And we're like, we should start a business. You know, and they wanted to start a club or a restaurant. I'm like, I don't know, man. I just heard about this they broker. Car, they car They're car guys, guys just like me, but yeah, I don't no. think they were passionate car guys like me. Okay. I'm like, dude, I just found out about this auto brokering thing. We know the industry. We know cars. Why don't we start an auto brokerage? And I like, bing. We're like, all right. So I started with two of my best friends from the Nissan, Nissan dealership in 2005. Okay, hold on. Did you quit cold turkey at the Nissan? Place, yeah. Or you did? You straddled it? No, I. Because I, well, that's scary. I no, I quit cold turkey. But and then, my, and but my dad, what? my dad actually, you know, when we started discussing exactly starting a company, and you know, we we pitched it to my dad. Everyone kind of had to come in with some money to start the company. Okay, seed had, money. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to like buy a bunch of stuff because it's not so simple to say you're a broker. You have to actually go through. A There's probably process. Um, licensing and stuff. Licensing, that you, need, yeah? you know, insurance, bondage, all that stuff. You have to go through the whole. You know, what license do you need? You need an auto like dealer license, but it's wholesale brokering license. It's specific to the field. So, do you have to have sold a certain number of cars to do that, or how do you get that? Well, What's it's actually, in that I mean, from what I hear, is that they're they're continuously changing the re- requirements. At the time, it was you had to have signage, you had to have a lot, you had to have, you know, a location. It couldn't be out of your house, couldn't right, be out of your, your garage. Yeah, because a lot a of guys want to do place. that. Yeah, a lot of guys want to do that. But uh, yeah, you have of course, to have. Then they go and skip pricing. On, yeah, as a broker. yeah, because I mean, but you, 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 the requirements at the time were that you had to have you know a physical location, you know, with signage mm-hmm. outside, certain size, uh, a lot essentially where you could park cars if you if you were asking for a specific retail license. Because there's a difference between retail and wholesale. I have a wholesale license, mm-hmm. so if I want to sell cars, I can only sell cars to dealers. Gotcha. If I'm selling them personally myself, if mm-hmm. I'm mediating between a consumer and a and a dealership. You're just meeting. You're I'm never taking mediating. delivery not, on the car. Not, I'm not selling the car. You're not giving me any of your money. You're giving it to the dealership. Exactly. I'm just doing all that. the work. Okay. So, yeah. So I got a wholesale license because I didn't want to have a retail lot. I didn't want to use car lot. That's right. Not, that's not what I wanted. I wanted to kind of change the whole concept of how you buy a car. That's like when we first started. I think my first logo or my first uh, – the because I kind of designed the website. It was like a new buying experience. That was like my, my, my whole – concept yes like, which this is, is awesome i'm gonna change the, i think you the could, wheel. You I could still use remember. that today let's use it right now honestly because, all my business because it I, still is i mean yeah. like we're saying no one yeah. still knows well, see, about now this when you watch, it's still when you, a new buying when experience. you watch all the commercials on uh whatever like um what are all these new these new places like the true car you see commercials all the time oh, cars yeah, guru like, car right, guru totally. all these like but random like, stuff it's like what i did 15 yes, years ago it's like the little appy stuff that we're just talking yeah, about yeah but like, they still yes. send you the dealership i, I mean they're they're, they're yeah, pretending exactly. to be what i am mm-hmm. but they're not you know right. they're still they're se- they're sending you to the dealership with a price in your hands yeah but they're That's not going not through the process completely. of of making sure you're getting the best rate, making sure you're getting the oh, best incentives. It's, it's so valuable. Making sure you're getting the car you want. They're just sending you and saying, "Hey, look, this is the target price. This is a good deal. Right? Have fun at the dealership." That's what they're saying. Right? While you're sitting there for two days, Six trying to like days. bring a blanket. Yeah, it's ridiculous. You know? yeah. But see, I don't. To me, it's the whole buying experience. Yeah. It's the dealership comes to you. The car is delivered to you. I make sure oh, you're getting the best it's deal. It's the best thing ever. Yeah. It's, it's the best. So thing. there's it still is, honestly, it's like staying at the Four Seasons versus yeah, going. They're to, pretending like, to the be brokers, but they're yeah. not. You know what I mean? Because the car, you know, um, Costco, AAA, all of the, those companies are technically what brokers, they but they the, do it on a very, very minute, you know, scale comparatively in terms of oh, how like, deep they get the into personal. it. Yeah, yeah, I get deep. You yeah, know, you're like I'm a concierge. You, you're like an auto What's concierge. your dog's name? Yeah. What's your dog's name? You know what I mean? Like, right. I go all in. So with these guys, and see, that's what, you know, when we first started the company, it was all about making the relationship. 
you know, but you not had, so, but this, at this point, just to give people an idea when this comes in, like you have to have, you have to have experience. You yeah. have to have relationships. You can't just yes. start an, an auto broker no. business, not having built some relationships. Your dad has to be like, you, can. you know, some, no, you somebody can. in a car I mean, place or something. You can. I mean, but to be successful, you think like you could just say like tomorrow, you could people, say. If you're good with people yeah. and, you, and you're confident, you can't. Because I okay, didn't really so like have I could be an auto broker yes. if I wanted to be, but yeah. even without not, not having connections specifically at yeah, dealers, I, whatever, I could just start calling. So it's kind of like you know, um, the people who work on a trading desk yeah. are just really good at like yeah. talking to people and exactly. making a deal happen. And they talk to, to someone else on the other it. side. They don't, yeah. you know, they'll eventually know like okay yeah. what these products are. But when I first started Fleet Direct, I didn't have contacts. I okay. didn't know anybody at any specific dealership. I didn't know who the dealer. Well, what that's actually were. a good point because that guy called you and yeah. you didn't know who he was. I didn't know who he was. And he was I didn't like, have I'm a broker. Contacts. You're like, all what I are you knew talking was about? I knew how to okay. make deals. I knew how to make deals. I knew how to negotiate with customers. Mm-hmm. I knew the whole concept of what people were dealing with at the dealership and how much they hated it. So and, I knew, and you knew the margins. You probably knew where the where the yeah. dealers well, had room. The way I looked at it, the way I looked at it, is not having an actual physical lot. How much am I risking? Zero. You know what I mean? I don't have a lot yeah. of you know overhead. Right. It's my office. It's yeah, my utilities. Lease. Yeah. It's you know I could have started buying cars and having thousands of dollars invested in cars, and the longer they're sitting there, the more oh, money you're losing. Yeah. And I said, you know what, Dad? This is I, because my dad was my investor, so I was like, yeah, you know, he's your here, angel here's investor. Here's my right? pitch. Mm-hmm. How much are we losing? How much? How much does is it going to cost us to run this business? With the you know potential of how much you can make, mm-hmm. that's how I looked at it. Completely, and I'm like, there's no there's no loss here. This is all this is all positive growth. Let's you know, if I'm selling cars, I'm making money basically. Yeah, and I'm not really putting anything into it. I'm no risk. If you start a comp like a business, like a, like a restaurant or any other, uh, there's tons of capital. There's all this tons stuff that it. you're putting yeah. into, and you're wasting. I had none of that, and then my dad was like, "Well, that's a good idea." So I was like, "Okay, yeah." So I got him to invest. And and I got these other two guys. Okay, to can fo- I just so suit. this is like starting a business. So we're talking like fifty grand, a hundred grand, twenty five grand purse with seventy five grand. Total. Right. So okay, just to give people an idea, you can get a business loan for that too. Yeah. It's not like no. a quarter of a million dollars. I didn't need, need even to, that much. And I then, mean, we needed to buy furniture. We needed to buy you know. Stupid but that seventy five is going to take you for a little while too. It's not just yeah, like you know exactly. seventy five. We and had like, to pay ourselves blown. a salary, and then these guys were coming from top management at dealerships, so they were used to making almost ten grand a month. Wow. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, you know, that's what we had to. Factor and see, yeah. I didn't have a family at the time. I didn't have kids. I didn't have anything. I right. still don't. But I didn't have that responsibility like they did. So their their you know pressure was greater than mine in terms of what they were ex- their expectations were and how. It's good balance because they're going to come in and work really hard. They and make did it happen, and they did. But they were unhappy because they weren't making as much as they were making in the dealer yet. Level. Right. So yes. you have to you have to be willing to. Yeah. This sacrifice. is a really important. You part. have to sacrifice yes. the first couple of years and expect not to make a dollar if mm-hmm. you want to make a business work. Yes. Because it's all about creating the foundation for that growth. Yes. And it's, it's all a, it's about... Like, I, I liken it to like um, building a new house, yeah. right? So it, your house doesn't get built in a day. You can't sell it tomorrow for $5 million yeah. or $250,000 yeah. or whatever you're going to sell your house for if it's not built. So yeah. it's like it takes time it to takes build time. that so if house. You have, yeah. if, you were like, if you're like me and you don't have a family to support, you can take a hit. For mm-hmm. a couple of years, or if you plan for it, if you have a family, and you or plan if you for do it, that, yeah. or if you can straddle, like I was saying, yeah, you, know, you could straddle. These guys couldn't. Could, so yeah. a year into okay. our, our, you know, our business, I bought them out. They couldn't 
to, they couldn't do it. They didn't want to do it. You know, for them, it. it was almost like a demotion mm-hmm. for them because they yeah. came from management. And at management level, you weren't dealing with customers one-on-one. You well, had the and your, your monetary, right, the way you make money is not on yeah. performance. It's on everyone's performance yes, for the entire right. lot. So for them, they didn't have to sell the way I had to sell for so many years. So they didn't have that. They did probably when they first started, but it had been years since they'd been doing that. Yeah, so I they were like, I don't want to be a salesman anymore. So, yeah, we, we, we disagreed with our philosophy of how to run the company. It was all about, for them, how much we can make per deal. They were running it like a regular car lot. Yes. I'm like, you guys, we cannot be you Everyone know, else. You relevant have a different philosophy. If yeah. we are going to run this like a car dealership, we have to run it like a, something new. You know what I mean? It has to be for the customer, the consumer. Mm-hmm. We make money in quantity, not quality. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. what I said to them. I was like, we've got to basically take a loss so that we can – create relationships with people not just the the the, cons- the customer but the dealership completely if you're, if you're like uh, as a <laughs> that's broker, why i was asking about like the, if you call the me and you say you want an odyssey and the broker and the, and the dealership tells me all right well we'll give you the odyssey for 1500 below invoice to me mm-hmm. you know that's how they're willing to sell it for that amount below cost just mm-hmm. to move a unit right and i say all right well i'm going to sell it for 500 over invoice and make two grand thank you do you right. think the dealership likes that no. The dealership doesn't want to take a loss so that I make money just because I'm meeting it, mediating a deal. Right. So I had to t- basically say, look, we cannot ask for all this money. Well, and you'll get that deal once. You might get it twice, but you're not going to get a relationship. You're not going to get those, those customers and yeah. their friends and everybody else. And that's what I kept telling these guys. I'm like, you guys, if we make relationships with also the dealer and the customer, we can. the sky is the limit. Right. You know what I mean? Totally. Because if you know somebody that wants to buy a car, yes. you're going to send them to me, right? I don't represent Mercedes-Benz only. I sell everything everything so what's the where's my you know where's my restriction there was none so it's like you guys have to make that person happy that's it right and that person will will, you know uh, constantly refer relationship business then it just becomes you know because then people can't go anywhere else right they they just can't they just can't even stomach so yeah it was hard the first two years and then i went through the recession in 2012 which was you know, also very hard. Was it 12 or 2008 started? Yeah. With yeah, that whole drop down, the market crashed, everything. Yeah, was, uh, but yeah. I, and I worked at Kelly Blue Book. I, I actually took a job. I took a job. And that's the thing well, you I was can thinking tell. even when you were here in business, because you can always consult. You could always kind of do that that's on exactly the side as doing. long as you're paying your rent. That's exactly what I was doing. I was consulting for Kelly Blue Book because mm-hmm. I was very unique. You know, and then I knew the industry on both sides, the consumer side and the dealer side. Yes. So Kelly Blue Book hired me for a year. And I worked for them full time while the, you know during the recession to help them you Smart. know with with their you know advertising for dealers and, and and their information that people are gathering for consumers. So I I, I consulted for over a year there, and I was still working here because it was down the street. Yeah. So I was able to maintain the two, my business and the consulting. So important. That's such an important point you're making. Exactly. Yeah, you can't give up. You just right. that's the thing. It's like I was ready to because it was it was difficult. And honestly, I was selling model cars even on eBay. Yeah, of course. And during the recession, I mean, I did everything I could do. You're yeah, do I did it. everything I could do to just keep my keep afloat and but keep my, the doors but open. The, yeah. The, the the from the beginning, the whole concept was, what can I? What kind of business can I run that doesn't cost that much to run? Yep. And because my business and didn't you can cost have a lot those of money, slides and yeah, then come back. And because it, my yeah. business is very minimalist, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of you know total cost. I was able to sustain it through the hardest period, you know, in, in oh, in 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 our lifetime, in, you know, in our economy, yeah. yeah. So 
you know, here I am, you know, this is now almost 15 years. Okay. So I want to, okay. So that, so you bought the, them out and now you continue to run, you have the same business um, now. Cause now yeah. it's like, that's how I found you. I, you know, had my helper, Somebody, yeah. you know, look you up. Like I said, I need a broker. Find me, you she know, whatever found me on Yelp. she found you on, I don't use Yelp. So I don't know. <laughs> she probably did. Um, yeah. But, oh, because from reviews and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Okay. So I want to give people an idea of some of the, the cool things that you get to do also, because yeah. when you were at my house, I was just really intrigued by the idea that you were at my house giving, selling me an Odyssey or whatever, mm-hmm. delivering my Odyssey that I bought from some random dealer. I can't even tell you what dealer I got it from because you got it for mm-hmm. me and brought it to mm-hmm. my house and I signed all the papers, which is an amazing, amazing gift. Mm-hmm. And then you were telling me my neighbor around, well, I don't know, but you know, yeah. someone in my neighborhood yeah. just got a Volkswagen yeah. and whatever. And then I was like, what's the coolest car? That you've ever been able to buy and what kinds of things do you get involved with? And then, so I want to talk about the Ferrari story. Mm -hmm. So I think people don't understand how Ferraris work. Mm -hmm. And then when we were trying to set up this interview, you couldn't do it at that time or this time because you were going to be in Bavaria or it's Italy or... Yeah, I went to Vienna. Yeah, Uh, I mean, all this crazy stuff. So just give people an idea of some of the cool stuff that, like... Well, the advantage to the modern... Yeah, what's the cool thing about being in this industry? The coolest thing about being a broker, if you love cars, is that you sell everything. You know what I mean? And if you're passionate about cars and somebody wants to buy a Ferrari or a Porsche, they can sense that you love what you're selling. You know yeah. what I mean? Okay. So it's like when this customer had initially Did you love my me, van? What's Were that? Like- <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, my sister, my sister wanted to be buried in her Odyssey. So I have... I have I'm, I'm like I part have, of Van Nation. I still I was love like- selling va- minivans, as much, not as much as love, I love selling a Porsche or a Ferrari, but it's still it's still fun for it's me because fun, you're getting right? a kick out of it. Like when my you traded your van car. in, they, they I, still, love it. I still remember driving your van back. As I don't even know how van. you made it. Yeah. I don't even know how I you made it. it was fun. <laughs> to me, it was like, this car is not going to get me to the <laughs> And when I got there, the girl looks at me, she's like, seriously? I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we did the deal. I Thank remember, you. I remember everything when it comes to like little stories like that. But see, for me, not having to sit in a cubicle because i did it you know yes. for kelly blue book you know i did it i sat in an office and it was even though i was at a higher level i was still sitting no, and staring I know. at a wall and so much of work too i think i i really always like people to understand that so much of work is the environment that yeah. you're doing the work and in for me i can I'm, and if you're I'm like an active person but i'm out you know what yeah. I mean? even if you're, i'm delivering you're a, a car you're a high an odyssey guy. to newport beach to your house driving down pch in your trade yes. to get back to the dealership to me that's better awesome. than sitting in a cubicle you Completely. know because i'm still i'm working technically but it's not work you know what i mean to most people yeah it's just it's me not, driving yeah it's not check clocking in and like on my computer yeah, and i was sitting i, mean, I, start, I, I was this. sitting in i was sitting where the hell was i, I was um i was in antigua and a customer calls me up and i mean so long as you have internet access in your phone you can work you know what i mean yeah, and i work I so. and because yeah. i don't hate my job i can work anywhere even when i'm on vacation so i was sitting on the beach in antigua drinking a margarita selling an audi r8 you know, I mean, the guy's asking me for an Audi R. It was an awesome car. Awesome right? car. Awesome, awesome car. car. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm the view. And this one, like, it struck me. I'm like, wow, I have a really, really cool job. You have this an amazing awesome. job. Yeah, because I'm sitting there talking about cars. Would you love? Making money. Yeah, making money, calling my guys and they're helping because of the relationship I have. I didn't have to be there. You know, a lot of times I want to be there yeah, because the more the, you, yes. you see me, the face more likely face. you're going to refer me. You know, if you don't meet me and it's just a voice, mm-hmm. my voice is kind of weird considering <laughs> this is the first time I've ever heard it recorded. I don't, this is what I sound like on the phone. And a lot of people are like exhausted when they talk to me because I talk fast because I'm oh. always in a hurry. Yeah, like, I've I had do. people. You can, we could talk all day. I yeah, can, I can I've keep had up with somebody, I've had somebody. I've had people say, slow down, dude. Slow yeah, down. Yeah. 
Because you're already just up. like onto the whole, you got it. So yeah, to me, yeah. I just, I don't, I'm not an um person. I don't have to sit there and, you know, stop. Formulate I'm and thinking, be very I'm like specific. constantly talking and that's how I drive too. I drive. Like uh, I'm the most efficient driver. I would, ex- I would honestly can say I'm one of the best drivers in Los Angeles because I've driven every single road, pretty much every freeway. True, and every exactly different car. Yeah. So I like take a real pride in the fact that I'm, you know, I'm a great driver. So I'm efficient too. I'm like, if I tell you I'm going to be somewhere at a specific time, even with all traffic, the traffic and everything else, I've accounted it. You know, I'm going to be there at that totally. time. And that's why before uber and before lyft and everything else and where i had to meet drivers yes at customers houses before hours wasted before hours hours wasted you had your thomas guide out yeah but i was the only one on time ever so it's like as soon as they came up with this uber concept which is awesome by the way great great business uh, amazing business but not really great in terms of how it's put in practice because the drivers suck and they don't know how to drive but uh the whole concept is there they just have to kind of you know, tweak some stuff. Tweak some stuff. Do more. Well, you they know. have like Uber Black and stuff like that, which I think is, eh, you know, at least yeah, you have the yeah, potential yeah. of but having like someone. Like when you're in Amsterdam, when you're in other countries and you use an Uber driver in other countries, they're much more restrictive in terms of who, who can drive let, and yeah. what cars can be driven. And that's what they need to do here. I see. Uh, but the concept of being able to pull a driver from wherever you're at on your phone with an application helped me, you know, an astronomical amount. Amazing. Because yeah. I didn't have to meet a driver at a customer's house i could just drive the car to the customer's house and take and an uber, uber back. back and it's a write-off and i'm on time i'm efficient i would think it would help you as a broker selling all those constantly. cars to uber drivers yeah well because i mean i do i hand my business card over to constantly uber because drivers, you know but they're what, not the most you know savvy, yeah i guess so you know. but some might be but you would know what to sell them yeah you know no, like no this is the car you want for that well, uber, for that has job. Pros- uber actually has relationships with dealers where they send their drivers I to see. dealerships okay and of course the dealership screws the, the, yeah, the driver. because they're going to... But they don't. The dealership no. gets a free customer. And I've heard it. You know what I mean? Because I didn't even know this, but Uber actually has these. And now what a lot of people are doing is they're renting cars. They're not even driving their own cars because a rental corporation like National and Enterprise and all these have different rates for Uber drivers. Oh. So you can actually rent a car and drive it through Uber and not put the mileage on your own car, the depreciation on your own car. And... You're making money, and you're all, you're not using your. You know, oh, I love, I love. I, I learned that too, I'm and I was like, wow, that's crazy, dude. Too. Like, so I love you're all making that stuff. money driving somebody else's car. I like it. Yeah, which is really cool. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. okay. So wait, tell, okay, so you're in Antigua, and I'm in Antigua, and I that's when it's like I still, this is yeah. the most awesome job because yeah. you have to tell the Ferrari story because I think this is awesome. I don't think people. When I told my husband the story, I was like, yeah. do you know that you can't just go and buy a Ferrari? Oh yeah, doesn't so matter Ferraris, how much money you have, you can't just go and buy a Ferrari because that uh, would yeah. really make a lot of people who have a lot of money really upset. That's kind of like this whole cachet thing. The more sought after the Ferrari, the harder this it is, is so cool. to, to buy. So the, yeah, with Ferrari, it's not. It's one of those manufacturers that really you know is uh, particular about who they let buy their cars. So. You know, there's a used Ferrari anybody can buy, but a brand new Ferrari, you have to have an established relationship in order to buy it. And how with do you the brand. how do you get a you have to basically have established you know you have to purchase a couple of used ones prior or purchase a California which is a Ferrari brand new but it's not considered a real Ferrari oh okay a California is is basically like what a Boxster used to be about well okay. Porsches you know like there's certain levels of of, of yeah, performance cars yeah. that you know that so they you're don't saying consider, Boxster like Boxster of Porsche is not yeah, like Boxster buying was considered, a Carrera yeah it wasn't considered a real Porsche okay. to, to like the aficionados yes. the, the the car guys. Uh, that's what the California is considered the California the Ferrari. Where does it fit in the market? What it, it's like one hundred and twenty five thousand. So it's kind of like a Tesla computer kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, and it's a, but it's a cabrio. A nice, it's an a eight nice cylinder. Mercedes. See yeah. any Ferrari that's an eight cylinder, 
is not considered a true Ferrari unless it's a mid-engine eight-cylinder. Mm-hmm. Okay. If it's a front-engine eight-cylinder, they don't consider that a Ferrari. Got if it. it's a front-engine, it has to be a V12, a 12-cylinder. Mm-hmm. So this car is an eight-cylinder. It's it's a, it's a nice car, but it's, it's really nice. It's not a. But you, it, that comes in with like so that would be your entry-level entry-level yeah. Ferrari. That would be your you know. I'm trying to establish my you know. My relationship with the brand, if you don't want to buy something used, because you can buy a used Ferrari from anyone. Mm-hmm. And if you buy like an F40 or, an, or some significant kind of Ferrari, you're establishing yourself as someone that's serious, serious. about Ferrari. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, this customer had come in. He called me up. This was the first time I'd ever worked with him. And he, he had a 430 Modena. Tell or, people or, what that is. It's a little bit better Tell than an entry level. It's <laughs> a little bit better than an entry level Ferrari. It's, I mean, it's one of their he bought eight used, cylinder. Obviously. He did. And it was a Spider, so it was a convertible. And it was... It wasn't a car he bought from me, but he wanted to replace it with a brand new Ferrari, and he wanted a significant Ferrari, which was a 430 Scuderia, which is a very, very limited production car at the time, very hard to get, extreme high performance. Uh, you know, and I mean, in that level of car buyer, they know what they want, and they go on to you know, inter, you know, internet sites to to hear whatever everyone's talking about. Oh, car about. forums, yeah, and everything. forums, and, yeah. and, and and people are saying, look, this is the next, you know. GTO, you know, one of the classic Ferraris of 1988 mm-hmm. was the GTO. The classic Ferrari of 1984 was the F40. Uh, there's just so many classic Ferraris, and people were saying, look, this is going to be one of them because it's a pure, very, very pure sports car that, you know, is extremely raw. And guys that like cars want something raw. And they know they, this. They yeah. want something raw. Like It's probably a good investment. In the day, back in the day, you know, now everything is paddle shifter. Everything mm-hmm. is, is F1 transmissions. You know, manual gearboxes became obsolete, you know, a couple of years back with Porsche, you know, developing uh, the dual clutch automatic mm-hmm. transmissions. No clutch. And, yeah, yeah, no clutch automatic transmission because it's faster. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And that's what they're aiming for mm-hmm. in racing. That's race cars. So, yeah. But it takes away from the driving experience. And so a lot of the, 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 the you know, purists, they wanted something the you box. Know, manual gearbox, mm-hmm. original, you know, to the to the to form and whatnot. So, the you know certain cars like the 550 Marinello that they offered in a in a gear manual gearbox, the 355, even the the um, the Modena, the 360 Modena, those cars everyone wanted them in a manual gearbox because they were the last of the Ferraris to be offered with a manual gearbox, yeah. and the cars that had the F1 trannies. Uh, the only ones that were truly considered pure were the ones at the highest level that you had to have, you know, significant relationship with. So he calls me up and says, "I want a four thirty Scuderia." Like, How did he get to you? How did he find the you? The guy that I had used, used to get my Audis from. His name was Drew Polinchar. He was a great, great, uh, great friend of mine. Actually, had sold him a Mini Cooper. He ran a mini lot somewhere, and he worked here with me during uh, a period of his t- life that he was done with dealerships. So he worked with me, and I think Ed had called him, asking him to assist, or if he knew anybody. I say, okay. And he referred. Him yeah, because you're such a special. I don't even know how yeah. he would find you. He referred him to me. So Ed, Ed, this this guy calls me up, and he's he's asking me for a 430 Scuderia. This was the first Ferrari I'd ever sold. So I called and created a relationship. I didn't have an established relationship at the time with a Ferrari lot, uh, but I created a relationship with uh, Ferrari of Newport Beach. They tell these guys, look, I got a customer looking for a 430 Scuderia. We end up, you know, making a deal. And I remember, I mean, because I have been a Ferrari fanatic my entire life. This was something that I had said to myself as a child. You will never sit in a Ferrari unless it's your car. That's what I said. Unless you're driving your own car, wow. you're not allowed to sit in a Ferrari. And I had many, many, many opportunities. I bet, yeah. But this was like one of those times where I had to say, you know, look, this is this car. We flatbed trailered it to his hangar where he keeps his collection cars. of cars. Yeah. How many cars uh, does he have? Because people like. I don't even know. His wife doesn't even know. Um, I don't know. 
but I sold him five Ferraris since. Okay. And yeah. I remember I'm one, thinking it's like a Jay Leno kind of thing where you walk in and yeah, he's got like, yeah. you know, he shares his 30 hanger, cars. He shares his hanger with the guy that started GoDaddy. Yeah. And okay. I mean, if you see this hanger and you're a car guy, you're just like. In you're complete in Disney. habit. Yeah. It's yeah. worse. It's better than Disneyland. Uh, car Disneyland. I mean, selling him a 430 Scuderia was to me like the pinnacle of my, my career saying, Completely. look, Rami, you just sold a Ferrari, dude. And a sweet Ferrari. Yeah, not just any Ferrari. Yeah. And, I mean, it was like one of the best days of my life. Taking, I saw a video of taking it off the hanger and driving it into the... Oh, you got to drive? It off, slap it. I met the the, the delivery. The, you know, I was there at the at the time it was delivered. It was on a flat, but I had to drive it off the flat, but into the hanger. That's that kind of scary, actually. Yeah, I'd never even driven a Ferrari. Yeah. I didn't even know what, how to take it out of neutral. Right. Uh, but I learned. I, <laughs> no, I learned quickly. It's true, but I think I would have been you know, was, a little nervous even nervous. just to getting off flatbed because you're not. It's I not like you're just backing nervous. it up. I mean, that's coming from to like yeah. higher to lower, yeah. right? And, and then you got the back was, end and everything. I, I had to been go like, into this really you know unique spot, but it was um, it was an experience, uh, and I'll never forget it. But um, he knew too that I was breaking my rule. I had told him, I'm like, yeah. Ed, I'll never sit in a Ferrari unless it's my own Ferrari. So he knew that I was breaking my own golden rule. Just for to him. Pull his car off a flatbed and put it into his hangar. That was me breaking my but own. But do you rule. ever, do you want a Ferrari now? Absolutely. Okay, you're still, it's still on the line. Okay, so I'm just making sure. Yeah. Because like, well, what if see, you never wanted a Ferrari then, and then it's like, oh shoot, that was a dumb thing. Well, since I broke my law, since I broke my rule, I, you know, I ended up renting Ferraris with my dad in Marinello where they make Ferraris because I got to tour the facility. Okay, let's hear this story. Yeah, I was actually, I had sold a California to one of my good friends, another Ferrari, like two months before this trip that I was taking to Europe to pick up a BMW that my dad and I had ordered. In uh, Germany, like in you're Germany. going to the factory. So yeah, yeah, so Germany's, uh, or the BMW's Stuttgart? factory is in Munich. Munich. Stuttgart is where Porsche, Mercedes-Benz, and Volkswagen's at. But, okay. Uh, Munich is where the facilities for, for BMW is at. So uh, we picked up a BMW, manual gearbox M2, and we drove it from Munich to Austria, where I went to the Austrian Grand Prix on my 40th birthday with my dad. Awesome. It was awesome. Uh, so, but, but just tell, tell people too, because I, if people don't uh, know, that's Autobahn driving. Yeah. That Autobahn is like driving. Free and I mean, driving. Great about being you know, with Europe. like what? Do you have the gas in the back of the, in the trunk? So you don't even have to Honestly, stop and was, all that. I mean, it was the greatest experience it's so, ever. It's so different. And I'll never forget any, because I mean, we didn't just do that. I mean, we drove to Venice, spent a couple of nights in Venice, parked the car in the Venice structure and ended up staying in Venice a couple of nights. From there, drove to Marinello where we toured the facilities for so Ferrari, cool. drove Ferraris for a day. I uh, drove up through Milan. Is this in through Milan. like the uh, the Alps? This is, was through the Swiss Alps. In the yeah, summer. So, that's and, so and, cool. You know, driving into Switzerland in the summer in a manual gearbox in the Swiss Alps. We went to Zermatt. Um, yeah, oh, if you've yeah. ever heard of Zermatt. Yeah, ski, ski, most, ski place. Oh, my God. It's But in the mm-hmm. summer, it's yeah. a mountain bike hiking place. And I mean, it's the most beautiful, picturesque place ever. It's where the Matterhorn is. And I'm sitting there driving a manual gearbox. It's so crazy. BMW that's so awesome. Through the Swiss Alps in the summer. We go up through, you know, in a car that now you own. Yeah, and then we we go up. That exhaust is from my dad's car. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the what was I going to say? So yeah, we drove up through Switzerland, stayed in Bern, stayed in Geneva. Then we went to back into Germany, picked up my mom's car from Stuttgart, dropped off the BMW, picked up a Mercedes Benz so that I could experience what it was like taking European delivery. Yes, this was all a write off for me. Because exactly, this is tell all people that because so, this is what this is business. This expense. is business, and I mean and honestly, it, and it, it is. is. Like I have when I was Absolutely in Vienna. When is. I was in Vienna, I had a customer call me and said, "I want to take European delivery of a BMW Z4." Right. You need to know what to do. And it's I different. knew exactly what to do. That's exactly. the thing. It's like I didn't know before. So for me, it was a very important. experience. 
experience to see how it works because yes. now I can help sell it. You know, right, because you have to you have to take delivery there and yeah. then you have to get it re-registered when you come back to the U.S. Is, is, but it was no, no, no. For me, this is like really, really important because there's yeah. a lot of things involved in an international yeah. transaction like yeah. that. Yeah, but it was, and also, then you have to get it shipped back. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah, you so get re-registered. I, I experienced it through BMW, and then we experienced it through Mercedes-Benz. So I got to see what it was like, and I got to see the main, you know, the very, very different way they approach it. So I, you know, it was it was important to kind of do it, and it was it just worked out timing-wise as well. Right. So from Stuttgart, we also toured Porsche's facilities, awesome. got to see the factory, got to go through the museum for Porsche, Mercedes-Benz, Audi, all of that Do you get stuff. any special treatment because oh, of yeah. who you are? Oh, yeah. So what do you get to do that's special that I don't get to do? Behind the scenes. Like, even when like, the, auto, like, the car show comes to the LA Convention Center, it's one of the best auto shows in, in the world. It's amazing. I've been I get all times. access. I get all access, like, like press access. I get to go oh, before okay. the actual... Press know, access is awesome. You get, yeah, you I get, get to like, go before front everyone and center else. of everything. So, you know, like with Porsche, I get invited to special events. In the you know in Carlsbad where they do, you know like uh, press releases for new models like the Panamera, the new Cayenne. I got to be at those things, so it's it's kind of. I mean, if you're Very a car cool. guy, this oh is, yeah, totally. This is the job to have. I think so, even if you're not a car guy, yeah, you'll still appreciate girl it. You'll whatever, still appreciate this is it's a, amazing yeah. stuff. So yeah. I mean, going it's to the, you know, because you're like your your work is so experience driven. Yeah, you know, like every everything's an experience. Yeah. Every and day I mean, like, is like an experience. You know, I was watching. I was watching. Honestly, I was watching um, the last game for for the lakers this year yeah and i saw my ferrari contact sitting first row right next to lebron james yes was, and that's was lebron james sitting that's there strategic. with his like glass of wine no, but I, I, <laughs> I i know what these guys they're doing they're trying yeah, to yes. sell cars yes I mean, and it, but it's a write-off at the same time so like when i go to a laker game with a client or when i go to a baseball game or if i'm buying anything like formula one tickets or anything like that you gotta I'm be front always center. yeah i'm always trying to sell cars or learn something about cars you know so it's 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 like even so, these yeah. even you know even these model cars you know this helps me keep track of everything it keeps your like mental space yeah, in there like, too. i know what all the models are i know what the differences are between the you know the different generations and everything else i mean there's so much knowledge like if you listen to, so to someone that's talking wine and that's super super mm-hmm. You know, into wine. It's the same thing. My roommate in business school was a car aficionado like yeah. you. So he so went we could talk and, and talk got and his talk. special BM3 in business school. We have no money. but he yeah. And he did a speech on how do you buy and sell a car for profit at these levels. Oh, yeah. Because he had bought an M3 and, and, you know, so now I can sell it for this. I bought yeah. it for this. I added these things to it. But, That'd I mean, it's awesome. It's really cool. And if you're a driver at all, if you love driving, you have to love cars. That's it. I mean, it, and if you love, it doesn't have to be cars. If you're passionate about something and yes. that's what you end up going into as your career, you're going to be successful if you're passionate about it. That's my theory. I mean, Could you talk just me. a little bit about that? Because I think you're a really good person to talk about this concept of, um, you know, so many people are like, well, how much money do you make doing that? How much money do you make doing that? Can yeah. I make any money? Like, I get, I get it as a general conversation because, of course, you have mm-hmm. to live and you have to survive. Mm-hmm. But once you reach a certain level of money or age, you realize it's not about that. Yeah. It's about you're going to be successful if you're doing something that you love and that you're good at. Between yeah. you know, mixing those two, and I mean, you're going to be successful if you work. If you, I mean, nothing comes easy. You have to put the time mm-hmm. in. You know what I mean? So it's like. You, if your passion is one thing, but if also if you're lazy and you're not going to put well, the that's time the, and the effort into it, you yeah. have to you have to be willing to put the work in to get the result. Yeah. So it's like you know I, I'm very passionate, so it doesn't seem as much like work. So that's what I think is the key if you want to to enjoy your life, you know, with what you do and with your career. If 
you are doing something you love, it's not as much of a burden. It's not doesn't feel like I'm going to work. I don't dread coming into work. I don't dread working if I'm on vacation. It's to me, everyone's like, "Why are you working? You're on vacation." It's awesome. I'm like I love it. Right. You know, when you're matter. in Europe, it's morning time, right? When everyone else is going to sleep, so it's perfect. So when I was in, you know, in Stuttgart, in Vienna, and any of these places, I was sitting there working, selling cars at eleven o'clock their time because it was ten a.m. Right. our time here. So it was like perfect. But nobody else would probably do that because who wants to work on vacation? But me, I did it because it doesn't bother me. It but doesn't. yours is the yours is the the junction, like the intersection between loving cars, but then also that having that total entrepreneur spirit, mm-hmm. and you're um you're kind of you know like all over the place in terms of just like your ability. I have to do everything. Yeah, I was going to say it's your like, ability to like. But see, my mom and everyone always had given me so much grief about learning every aspect of the business. You know, doing my own taxes, doing all yes. this. I didn't want to do that. That's not, I'm not, it, you know, it's not, I'm not passionate about doing no, taxes. No, no one's passionate about taxes you know except I mean? for it, the CPAs. But see, that's, but when you start getting into stuff and you start, when you do everything, I mean, you don't have to always do everything, but if you learn every aspect of your business first, mm-hmm. then you are going to probably maximize every opportunity and, you know, take advantage of every option and every everything you can yeah. like when my cpa would write off whatever he wanted to write off or what he thought he should write off it was very different than when i would write off what i would write off and i would and i saw but that then difference. you could have a conversation because you understand and i could help account for things correctly versus you know mm-hmm. somebody coming in from as an outsider who doesn't know the industry who doesn't know exactly what it is i'm doing you know what i mean and it, it's legit it's not like i'm Completely. saying i'm coming out you know and and trying to 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 uh you know uh, weasel my way into you know uh, not paying there's taxes. There's no weaseling it, anymore. But, but it doesn't it, work like that. No, but yeah, exactly. The thing. It's like it's just knowing it's knowing exactly how to you know approach every. Well, and even your taxes is not an exact science. It's it's an, no, it's, it's an art form, yeah. and but it's see, about no. With, it's about knowing. You have to, and there's a very very unique person that can do what I do and 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 maintain their sanity because if you don't know how much you're making every month, yes. but you know how much you have to pay every month. Yeah. to sustain you know your life uh-huh. it's difficult and that's the thing it's like i don't have a salary you know what I'm saying so if 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 i have a great month that's awesome but if i have a bad month that's not awesome and now you don't if i have dealerships you have that are a plan slow for to that. pay you know if certain dealerships take forever to pay me and i've made so, a certain amount of money two three months ago mm-hmm. but i haven't gotten paid on it yet there's all of that to, to kind of factor so it's like a lot of people are, are, you know, I don't think a lot of personalities or a lot of people can handle that aspect. of. What, what is it about your personality that allows you to handle that so that people I, can I, identify day, it? It's like for me, it's day to day. I don't took, I don't look at tomorrow as much. I look at today. You know what I'm saying? So it's yeah. like for me. You're not I, like, you don't value security as much as you do experience. No. And well, I kind of, I, I, I thrive off of the. The, the adrenaline the, the adrenaline and the pressure yeah the more pressure Completely. the more the more um, the harder i'm working yeah i guess so it's like if i had a nest egg or if i had a nice nice little cushion or if i had a posh salary mm-hmm. you know I, I mean when i worked in the in the corporate world i couldn't believe how inefficient they were mm-hmm. they spend probably two hours working in the majority of the other day they're just at lunch surfing, or whatever you yeah. know going to meetings and it wasn't anything like i i, I expected i expected right. it to be Efficient. It wasn't. You know what I mean? I was. And you're working at a desk, which is not for you. Yeah, I was just. It was, I think people it, it need was to understand that. Though, you know, and I like... got to get a sense of it. And you see how much harder the people that aren't making anything are working versus the people at the, uh, at the higher level. Yes. 
you yes. see the most of the work is happening at the lowest level. So if anyone ever wants to think about starting a business, the harder you work when you own your own business, the more you're making. Mm-hmm. But if you're working for somebody else, the harder you're working, the less you're, the less making. you're making. That's an interesting that's way to look at reality. it. Yes. And it sucks, yeah. But yeah. that's the reality. And that, I saw that instantly when I was in the auto industry because I saw the hardest I worked the guys at the highest levels were making all that money and I was putting all the effort in. Right. So it's like, if I'm going to be someone that works very hard and puts a very, very you know, uh, high level of passion in what I touch, I would rather I make you know, the I make the, the money, and I take, but you take the risk. Yeah. You're willing to take the risk to exactly. make the money, and that's and a I, big I difference. Mean, and I'm, I'm obviously, I had, I had my parents and their support you know, with that initial investment. But they didn't. They didn't support after that. They're so not writing like, you a check every month. No, now. and that's the thing. It's like, but it was like, like you said, you could easily go to a bank and pitch a, a good idea yes, and get, get a business, business loan. So it's. It was. I just went to that bank. Mm-hmm. It happened right. Exactly. But obviously, it made it easier to pitch to someone that I was related to. But they were reluctant. They didn't believe in the whole concept initially. They don't seem like they would have just but given the knew. whole story. My dad knew. And it wasn't until that, until I got my degree, because they asked me to do that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So it wasn't until I had gotten that. And obviously, it didn't really help me necessarily in the industry that I'm in. But it, obviously, it, it showed that if I put my mind to something and they knew me and they knew how much I hated it, that I would accomplish it. So that he's, they were like, okay, well, you know, you got your degree. You know, my degree cost them a fraction of what my sister's degrees cost because they went to private schools and they went to UCI. I went to IVC and Orange right, Coast. Right, exactly. And I went to colleges. That my, my whole, I would say my entire college um, you know, uh, career cost them maybe twelve grand. Right. <laughs> over a, that they could amortize they over like twelve of years. Of dollars, you know, my <laughs> sister's education. So it's like my dad yeah. was like, okay, this is kind of like. But I think they're right though because I've had that conversation too, where I think a lot of the, that four year degree is just getting through it, mm-hmm. and it shows a certain amount of resilience and accomplishment and everything. Yeah. Just getting through. If you're not getting a technical degree or something yeah. specific that you're going to use later, that's what I always yeah. tell my younger sister, who's ten years younger than me. I'm like, Rima, if you're going to get a degree specialize in something yeah, like, right. honestly it's like a d- diploma now right if you don't know somebody or if you don't specialize know something yeah, yeah. And if you specialize specialize in something like something like where you know somebody in that industry who's going to open the door for you because that's really what life is about it's you know connections not everybody's got these parents that are paying them to go to usc or all no most school. people don't that's what i'm saying so yeah it's like, we're all kind of on you've our own kind of out think, there you, you got to be strategic about if if you have a passion and you want to get into something that's that you're passionate about you should most likely be successful if you put your heart and soul into it and you put the hard work into it if you don't then you need to kind of be strategic about what you want to do with your life and you need to think about who you know, who's going to open doors, how potentially you could get into, you know, just a career that's going to pay the bills. Right. Because my yeah. sister's doing stuff she doesn't really love to do, but it's now morphed into what she likes because she put in the time. That's a really good point. You know, she went that's into really the, good point. the food industry that she, and she didn't want to because mm-hmm. my dad worked for, for Cheesecake and she worked at Cheesecake at the lowest level being just an, like a, uh, an assistant to the CEO or whatever, like a... Uh, um, she was just an assistant and, and now they've created a, a, a position for her in social media where she does all the ph- photography that she loves to do. That was her hobby. She's doing all of the posting on, awesome. you know, on Facebook yeah, and everything she loves else. It. And she loves it. She loves her job. She hated it initially, but, but somebody she opened get the door. That, she couldn't get that job if she hadn't proved herself exactly. as exactly. the assistant. So That's a really the, good she point. Put in the, she put in the years and now she's got a re- really good paying job doing something she loves to do it in a, in a very, very well-established corporation. So it's like, you don't have to necessarily get into a business or into a job that you love. If you're good at something and you are, you know, going to show that eventually, yeah. 
you'll somehow sometimes it'll just fall into your lap. Yeah, you know, or yeah, they'll or they'll carve, they'll make something That's for you for specifically her, yeah. for you yeah. because they love you and they yeah. want you to be around because exactly. you're a good employee and all that stuff. So, yeah. Okay, I've I have taken up so much of your time, right. which I have left. I'm so into it. So, so tell us, car. just uh, uh, yeah, exactly. So buy buy a car. So well, I, I I I the only thing problem is we bought a Tesla, and as you said, you that's the uh, one thing that you can't do yeah. is work with Teslas. Well, so. and see, that's the thing. It's like yeah, Tesla doesn't doesn't work with brokers because they run their company completely different, and it, apparently you know, they run their manufacturing completely differently. Yeah, too. So but it's every, not working. Everything's so different. That's yeah, the, that's the thing. It's like they tried that with Saturn. They tried that with Scion. They tried it with pretty a lot of different com- car companies have tried the you know we don't negotiate we don't have sales reps we don't have this we don't have that but it ends up all coming down and crashing and burning so tesla struggled and i'm sure you know eventually they're gonna have to rethink how they run their their company but as of right now that's the only brand i can you sell. can't sell Okay, so give me the best and the worst, and just tell me because when I'm sitting there f- filling out a bunch of paperwork for you, I was kind of cringing, like, "Oh my gosh, you just you have to like f- file all these forms after no, this." Because I got no. my plates in like three days. Yeah, I mean, it was it all like boom, boom, boom. I know how to get through all that paperwork and walk you through what you're signing, so that you know what you're signing. But you learned that on the job. You yeah. learned that. No, I learned on, it on the job. I had no idea. In, in your own business or mm-hmm. for them? No, here, here. Because I, I, you know, I was running the fleet department. I would hand it over to finance. Right. Finance does all of that at the dealer level, and finance is a completely different department Com- where they're trying to make money on products. They have their too. own goals yeah, to meet. Yeah. Exactly. So they're selling you, and they're pitching you products mm-hmm. like you know service contracts, extended warranties, all that stuff. Which you can also do, by the way. You I can, can also get I those through you. Can, but I yeah. negotiated at cost versus giving it yep. to you. You know, having them sell it to you at a profit. So. Yeah. So I didn't know anything about that side of it, but I learned it as I went. You know, I started, you know, I, and that's the thing. Like when I got first got into it, I was a little nervous thinking, I don't know every aspect of, you know, the process. Right. But, you know, I learned as I went. And the, the, if you're if you're savvy enough to kind of get, you know, to to go with the flow and kind of, you know, learn as you go. That's what I did. Right. And I mean, nowadays there's so much information online. There's, it's impossible not to know everything about anything. Well, how do you so, make money exactly though? So, so if a dealership says, Hey, we'll give you a, a Odyssey for $1,500 right. below invoice. Mm-hmm. I decide how much to sell it to you for. Right. At that okay. point. Perfect. So I decide how much I want to make. So you, but you have a cap on that, right? So, cause you're the most you can, Oh, you don't because you could sell there's it. No cap. Most brokers, Destroy but, but, their customers. Destroy I see. Okay. Them. They make but so much But even their money. customers will pay over invoice? Yeah. They don't know. They still oh. think that's a good oh, deal. Oh, yeah. That's not a good deal. So, I mean, a lot of customers. <laughs> oh, sorry. A lot of customers I'm just telling will, you now. That's not a good deal. <laughs> a lot of customers that call a broker, a lot of times they're calling a broker they trust. And a car salesman, that's the f- one thing they want is yeah. trust. Right, right, right. Because then they can me, exploit I'm you. I'm going to make all the money on you. I can't. Right. And that's what they do. Right. Like if you honestly, if you, a real car salesman screws the shit out of the people he tr- that trust them the most. Mm-hmm. I'm not a real car salesman. That's the difference between me and most people. Right. Like, if you trust me, I have to trust you. And it's the relationship for me. And it's the. Well, because then once people, if people find out that you kind of got screwed on a deal, then they're never going to call. And they're going to put little bad Yelp reviews and all that stuff. That's why there's not one negative thing ever said about me because I've never done that. I won't do it. No, it was amazing. Amazing experience. Well, see, but that's the problem is a lot of brokers do it. You know, especially like the Korean and like the Persian and all the, the communities are the, the guys that specialize within their own community. You know, oh, like if you're if you're Vietnamese, deal you makers. Call a Vietnamese yeah. broker because you think he's not going to screw you. Don't do that. They screw you. Though. Yeah. Like yeah. I hear from and I'm there. Like when I talk to my contacts and I'm at a dealership waiting for him to print out docs. Well, and, it's probably and send language way, and all that stuff. I they think they the can't do it. I hear the guys that are calling. Like my competition, the brokers, they make like $2,500 a deal. 
That's a lot of money. Yeah. So if a dealership <laughs> says, if a de- but they don't make, they don't sell that many cars. I was going to say, and they don't, they can't do it again and again. No. And the know? dealership really looks like down on them and says, you know what? Screw you. You know, we're selling the car to loss and you're making all this money. Right. Who are you? No. So for me, that's why most dealerships love me. They respect me. And I've been around this long because I don't screw the dealer and I don't screw the customer. If the, co- if the dealership tells me we'll give it to you for 15 back, I give it to you for a thousand back. Right. I make 500 bucks. You get it for a phenomenal deal. We're both happy. Everybody's happy. Oh, a phenomenal deal. And I didn't have to do anything. Exactly. So I didn't have to do anything. I made a couple phone calls. That's how I make my money. And, yeah. I, de- and I depend, I base my money on the margin. So yeah. like if, if I'm selling you an Odyssey for 40 grand, mm-hmm. 500 bucks makes sense. If I'm selling a Corolla for 17 grand, 200 bucks makes sense. I see. Okay. If I'm selling a Ferrari. But for, that doesn't make sense because it's the same amount of work for you. I know, but I, but That's it's not a great deal works. and it's all I got on the it. margins. So I have to be realistic. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, a Ferrari's got much more margin than a Toyota Corolla, even though it's much more work necessarily. Right. Sometimes it's the same amount of work. I can't make five grand on a Corolla like I can make five grand on a right, Ferrari. Right, but that, because a Ferrari is very specialized yeah, but, and all that I mean, stuff. And, I but that. And they're making that kind of money in their margin. So right. that's how I have to look at but it. But it's also cool, though, because you could decide a little bit on how much money you make as yeah. long as you keep getting the customers, right? You, yeah. can, you can always work as hard as you want exactly. to work, which exactly. is for someone so like if, you who's very driven this way. Yeah, and it, it makes like, sense. I know if a customer is coming in and, and they've got so much money and, they, and I'm still, you know what I mean? Like I'll make a grand on a deal if I know I can and, and it's not hurting their deal. No, but it, and people who have money really value their time exactly so you've just thing. made them and you i'm know, still making them a much better deal than oh they my gosh gotten. and you've if you've saved that person an hour mm-hmm. they've made they've made money because their time is so valuable but i've never so i so, get that but with me it's like most brokers will charge a broker fee to try to just like, for make, negotiating and stuff no just so oh. that they can control their customer so they'll say i'm not i'm going to charge you 200 dollars up front and that'll go towards my broker. Oh, to keep him from walking to someone from, else? From shopping. Yeah. So I that's see. the thing. It's like, I, like yesterday, I sent a customer an invoice on two different cars, pricing, breakdown of total out the door, a total spec sheet on everything, and he didn't even give me his phone number. What's to stop him taking that oh, information yeah, yeah. to go to a dealership? He's probably done that already because I didn't hear back from him. Right. But see, that's the thing. If you're asking me to trust you, wow. you, I have, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I have to trust you if you're going to trust me. That's how I look at it. But, but, I, but I, you lead you lead with trust. I do. You led with the trust. Exactly. Yeah. And the problem is that it's not always You didn't say to them, prove yourself. Yeah. And, then- and I, I told him that. I'm like, if you, if you can, please don't share this information. You know, this is for you. You asked right. me for this. This is exactly what you asked me for. Let's, yeah. let's make a deal. Yeah. Let's do it. I gave it to him for a thousand below invoice. Right. If he takes that information to a dealership, I'm sure they'll give it to him for twelve hundred. I'm sure they will. Yeah. And they'll and they'll get him financing and all that stuff to make money. They'll get him somewhere else. Yeah. That's that's where the karma police come in. Yeah. Exactly. And I say it. (laughs) That's where the karma police come in. Yeah. Really personal when you screw me like that. Yeah. If you take my numbers and you use them to go get your own deal, okay, have fun. Yeah. But that's not for you to control. That's like other. That'll be taken care of in the big big bad world. I'm so bad. And from the beginning, always people would tell me. Don't take it personal. That's the industry. You know, if you're if you're if you're an agent trying to sell houses, yes. how much time do you invest? Oh yeah. Then you sometimes don't get the money back. So it's like that's how I look at it. It's yeah. a loss, but you know, sometimes you're up and sometimes numbers. you're down. It's in the numbers. You know what I mean? So it's like it is what it is. So the very best thing about your job, though, as we close, and I'm, I just want the last, like the the very best thing. What would you say? Freedom. Freedom. The freedom to do what I want when I want and to do it where I want. 
I was walking Cooper this morning on the back base. Cooper's the dog, cutest Cooper's dog, dog ever. She comes to work with me every single day. Cutest That's a freedom. Dog. Yes, I can't do. You can't do that if you work at a, you know, for a corporation. You mean setting your own hours? I'm setting. Very the- fa- I'm family first, so with me, I got to go to all my nephews. You know, games got to go to mm-hmm. all those recitals. Like you know, the reason why I was in Vienna is because my nephew was performing, so I got oh, to wow. go. Yeah, I have that freedom. There's no restriction on you know paid vacation. Mm-hmm. I'm on. I can take any vacation I want. So the best thing about my job is freedom. I love it. Yeah, this has been awesome. I'm like, I think we could talk. I think we could yeah. have a contest of who oh, can talk faster. I talk. Fast. <laughs> I talk. I could talk really fast, but not on these. Always, I have I to be a little bit slower. Time. But yeah. thank you so much, Rami, for being with us today. Pleasure. This has been awesome. And Cooper, you thank too. You Thanks for being Super. here. You've been amazing. So we're going to jump into the fast track here with Rami Baruti, our auto broker. And remember what he was talking about with how cool his job is. I was, um, I was in Antigua and a customer calls me up. And I mean, so long as you have internet access in your phone, you can work. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I work I so. and because yeah. I don't hate my job. I can work anywhere, even when I'm on vacation. So I was sitting on the beach in Antigua, drinking a margarita, selling an Audi R8. You know, I mean, the guy's asking me for an Audi R. It was an awesome car. Awesome right? car. Awesome, awesome car. car. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm the view. And this one, like, struck me. I'm like, wow, I have a really, really cool job. <laughs> that is so awesome. And if so, if you're a car person or someone who just loves the idea of having a cool job that, that would live like this, then there you go. So if you're a car broker, one of the things you have to get used to is having your own business. So I'm going to lay this out here first for you and really how this business is set up. Listen to Rami here. There's a very, very unique person that can do what I do and, and, and maintain their sanity. Because if you don't know how much you're making every month, yes. but you know how much you have to pay every month yeah. to sustain you know, your life, uh-huh. it's difficult. And that's the thing. It's like, I don't have a salary. You know what I'm saying? So if, if, if I have a great month, that's awesome. But if I have a bad month, that's not awesome. And now you don't, if I have dealerships if you have that are a plan slow to that. pay, you know, if certain dealerships take forever to pay me and I've made so, a certain amount of money two, three months ago, mm-hmm. but I haven't gotten paid on it yet. There's all of that to, to kind of factor. So it's like a lot of people are, are, you know, I don't think a lot of personalities or a lot of people can handle that aspect. Right. Very important. So if you are the person who could handle that, this is an important point that's coming up here just to think about in your industry, you could be working in your industry for a decade and not even know that your perfect job is in that industry waiting for you. So that was the experience of Rami. So let me tell you how he even figured out that there was such a thing as an auto broker. When I was running the internet side and the fleet side, that's when I was introduced to the whole concept of brokering. I didn't even know brokers existed myself at this point. And this is years into selling cars. So it wasn't until I, I went and was running an internet side and the fleet side that a broker called me and they were like, hey, I need a price on this. And I'm like, who are you? Who are you? Yeah. He was like, well, I'm <laughs> representing this customer that wants this. I'm like, well, what does that mean? He's like, I'm a broker. I'm like, what the hell is a broker? He's like, oh, I sell cars. I could just sell whatever car I want any from any dealership, and I deal Did he, with was you. Was he like, or what are you, would you start yesterday? Like, yeah, how do you not know that? I was running a fl- an internet department. I had no idea what And you've been was. in the business around it. For, exactly. Yeah. That's incredible. So I was like, what? <laughs> so I'm just going to encourage you to run around your office right now and look for the jobs that you're like, what? Or get on the phone with people who are calling your industry to, to buy stuff or sell stuff or whatever. There's all these other ancillary jobs that you just don't even know about until it it hits you. So Carrie is 10 years in. So what exactly is an auto broker? If you're a customer, listen up. If you've ever bought a car in your life, if you're thinking about buying one tomorrow, 
this is the most amazing way to buy a car, I think, as a consumer that is available in the United States of America. It's amazing. So what is the job of an auto broker? Uh, as an auto broker, basically my job is to do everything for you. You know, if you're not the type of person that likes to go into a dealership and go through the back and forth haggle with the store and all the, you know, the old school methods that the dealers use to try to maximize their profit, you know, my job is to kind of get through all that, speak directly to management, directly to people that have that bottom line say as to what, you know, their their deals are. Right. So they basically go in and as an advocate for you and not like you go with them to the dealer. That doesn't happen. They sit there like a like your real estate agent would do without showing you all the houses. You call and say, I want this whatever, this Volkswagen Jetta and I want it in a white color and I want these options and please go find it. And he works all his connections, makes the whole deal happen. You say, I want to lease or I want to buy, etc. And this car then gets delivered to your house with, you know, a papers to sign with a deal to be done. And it's yours. It's, it's the most amazing thing ever. Please, please check it out. If you're one of the 95% of the people who buy cars who does not enjoy going to the dealer and making a haggle and doing all the back and forth. So who are Rami's clients then? Who calls him to get these, these deals done? The customer or the consumer that knows exactly what they want and doesn't want to you know, go through that usually calls me and says, look, this is what we want. Here's what our purchase plan is in terms of a buy, a lease, a cash deal. Uh, here's what we want exactly in terms of color and options. And my job is to find it and then kind of structure accordingly to what their preferences are. You know, I am essentially an outside sales rep, so I can work with any dealership I want. It's really, it's a matter of kind of using my expertise to make sure that you're getting the best possible deal. And instead of you going to a dealership and working with a sales rep on the store, who usually obviously works for the dealership trying to maximize yeah, got their, their own agenda. Yeah, my job is to work for you and to get you what you want versus trying to put you in what they want to get, you know, put, you know what they want to sell. Please go back and listen to the full interview on this because he gives so many good customer tips and insider info on the industry and how the car dealers will have certain models that they're trying to push off the lot. So maybe they'll find someone there who wants to give you what's best for you. But a lot of times it's a, you know, it's a sales generated job. They're just trying to get something um, off the lot. So this is a real business though. So when Rami's talking about it, he's talking about it's an amazing job, but he does have a full business. And with that comes the complexities of owning your own business. So listen to him talking a little bit about that. It's not so simple to say you're a broker. You have to actually go through a There's probably process. Um, licensing and stuff licensing, that you need. Yeah? You know, insurance, bondage, all that stuff. You have to go through the whole, you know. What deal. license do you need? You need an auto like dealer license, but it's wholesale brokering license. It's specific to the field. So do you have to have sold a certain number of cars to do that? Or how do you get that? Well, What's involved actually, in that I mean, license? from what I hear is that they're, they're continuously changing the re requirements. At the time it was, you had to have signage, you had to have a lot, you had to have you know, a location. It couldn't be out of your house. Couldn't right, be out of your, your garage. Yeah, because a lot a of guys want to do place. that. Right. So that's important to consider if you're thinking, oh, I'll just go be an auto broker. You really want to consider this as a career goal. This is a career goal job. And you can come in and out of this space if you work under another auto broker, but there's still licensing and requirements. You, you have to consider this seriously. So then in terms of Rami, what was he thinking when he was running this business, starting out in this business? What was he going to do? And I wanted to kind of change the whole concept of how you buy a car. That's like when we first started, I think my first logo or my first 
uh, the first because I kind of designed the website. It was like a new buying experience. That was like my 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 whole concept. When experience. you watch all the commercials on uh, whatever, like um, what are all these new these new places like the. True car, you see commercials all the time. Oh, cars yeah, guru, like, car right, guru, totally. all these like but random like, stuff. It's like what I did 15 yes, years ago. It's like the little appy stuff that we're just talking yeah, about. Yeah, but like, they still yes. send you the dealership. I, I mean, they're, they're, they're yeah, pretending exactly. to be what I am, but mm-hmm. they're not. You know, right. they're still, they're, se- they're sending you to the dealership with a price in your hand. Right. This is really important. This is, when he was talking about it, I was like, you're really like a car concierge. You know, to, if you went down to the, your hotel room from your hotel and went to the concierge desk and that person could buy you a car, think of it like that. That That is how he works. And it's incredible service. It's incredible to be a client of his. And then if you're thinking of this as a, a career goal, it's amazing, amazing work. So was he Mr. Connected? Don't forget that like he was in the business for like uh, 10 years or so before he started even thinking about being a broker. So do you have to have a lot of contacts? Do you have to be really well established in the industry? What do you need to be successful as an auto broker? When I first it's started Fleet Direct, I didn't have contacts. I okay. didn't know anybody at any specific dealership. I didn't know who the dealer was. Well, what that's actually were. a good point because that guy called you and yeah. you didn't know who he was. I didn't know who he was. And he was I didn't like, have I'm a broker. Contacts. You're like, All what I are you knew talking is about? I knew how to okay. make deals. I knew how to make deals. I knew how to negotiate with customers. Mm-hmm. I knew the whole concept of what people were dealing with at the dealership and how much they hated it. So and, I knew. And you knew the margins. You probably knew where the, where the yeah. dealers well, had and the room. The way I looked at it, the way I looked at it is not having an actual physical lot. How much am I risking? Zero. You know what I mean? I don't have a lot yeah. of you know overhead. Right. It's my office. It's yeah, my you have a utilities. Lease. Yeah. It's you know I could have started buying cars and having thousands of dollars invested in cars, and the longer they're sitting there, the more oh, money you're losing. Yeah. And I said, you know what, Dad? This is and I, because my dad was my investor, so I was like, yeah, you know, he's your here, angel here's investor. Here's my right? pitch. Mm-hmm. How much are we losing? How much? How much does is it going to cost us to run this business with the you know potential of how much you can make? That was cool too. So as you listen to the whole interview, you'll see where he's talking about the starting a business. Because I said, what do you need? Like you don't need a quarter of a million dollars to do something where you don't need cars on the lot. And it's really like, you know, 75 grand kind of thing to be able to start this, maybe less if you're just one person doing it. And that's something that you could don't tell anyone you ever heard me say this, but you could write it on a credit card. You know, you could do like a cash advance for some pieces of that. You could, you know, figure out ways to come up with that money. You can definitely go to a bank and get a business loan if you make a good case, as Rami did to his angel investor. So where does all this come from? You think this guy who is an auto broker, I don't know, do you think that he's like some amazing student or like a super math whiz or what is he really good at? So listen to him talk about where this comes from. I worked full time my whole life, basically, because my dad and my mom expected us to just work for. Are you immigrants? Yeah, my parents are from Lebanon. Right. I think this is an important point. So there are people who work and there are kids and younger people who have jobs early on and that is both a, a give and a take. You are the person who wants to have a job and then that you are the person who continues to work. And then the earlier you understand what it is to support yourself and to be able to you know, have your own money and understand how much things cost and how the world works, the, I think the better off you are in terms of placing out career goals ahead of you that will lead you where you want to go. So this is someone who knows how to work and by working, he's able to to learn what he's good at, skills, making deals, you know, putting people together, connecting, selling stuff, really good at selling stuff. So was he amazing in high school? Let's listen to his experience as a high school student. 
my parents kind of gave up on me when they saw that I had a 1.2 GPA at a high school. I never went to school. I was smart. I just didn't go to didn't school. Go. Yeah, I was distracted. You know, mm-hmm. and, it, and as a tr- as a kid, I was distracted, and I I just didn't know. I was good at pretty much anything I put my mind to, and that was hard on me because I didn't know what to focus on. You know, I felt like I could do anything I wanted. Right. That's so cool. Just think about that in terms of a a personality trait and reflect on yourself. Are you this person? Are you just almost restless is how I would describe Rami. Just like, I got to get this done. Like this is happening. And I don't have to go and sit and have someone tell me how to do it or like go through a bunch of classes. You know, some people like to do it that way. This is for a, a doer. And then to put that around a passion, let's see where that comes in. You know, I started collecting model cars because when I was a kid, I had micro machines and Hot Wheels and I always had a massive a collection of cars. I loved cars. So I started collecting these these die cast model cars, which, which are awesome, which I started when I was 17. Right. So that's that's another indicator of you might have passions. And I always say, like, think about what you love to do when you're a kid, like 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, before people are telling you what you should and need to, and other people are giving you their best ideas. What did you love and what came to you? And this was a clear passion of his with cars long, long before he started working in the industry. So how did he get started doing this piece? So when I was in school, I was actually, I was a, uh, you know, I was a full-time student at UCI. Okay. And I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. Initially, I wanted to be a mechanical engineer because I loved cars. Okay. Always. I've right. always been a car fanatic. So I wanted to design cars. And um, I did a lot of advanced mechanical engineering courses at, you know, in college. But the drafting portion of it just didn't fit for me. I, you know, I'm, I'm very artistic and I don't like being told, you know, formulas. I don't like being restricted, to, you know, technically. Right. And you're getting a sense of just that restlessness. Like, I just, I don't want to be fitting into this little box. And people who have this quality are are very good at being entrepreneurs if you can line up all the other discipline that's required to be an entrepreneur, which is key. But this, that kind of that restless nature is something that lends itself really well to having freedoms and setting your own path in whatever way you can. So how did he kind of bridge those gaps between, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into designing cars, but I have all these other little cars that I've been collecting for years. But I loved my job. Yeah. Loved At that time, I was, you know, was working with people, but I was talking about things I loved. You know what I mean? And it's harder to sell a model car than it is to sell a real car because these are hundreds of dollars. And, people and they are, don't do anything. And it's a toy to most yeah. people. But to me, it's like a work of art. You know Completely. what I mean? It's a, a representation of something so gorgeous and so beautiful. So like for me, I would sell hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of these model cars. And one day my sister's like, dude, you need to make real money. Go and get a job at a car dealership. Duh, right? <laughs> it's like, thank God for your sister. And thank God for people. There's always one of these people in your life. Uh, hopefully there is. It just kind of puts you in the right path for that moment. Um, and then he ends up working in a series of of different auto jobs. But then comes the big Mac Daddy job offer. And so this is, I'm going to just give you a little bit of background. There is an auto dealership in um, in his area called Fletcher Jones. And this dealership sells hundreds and hundreds. I think the numbers are 600, 700 plus of vehicles each month. And that is a really big number for a luxury auto dealer because they sell Mercedes. They sell Mercedes. I think they sell Maybach. Now they sell Audi. They sell a lot of really luxury, you know, nice cars. It's not the entry level cars or the basic cars that most of us drive. So he is through a you know series of again connecting and working and then he had a customer who 
really thought he was amazing and said, look, I've got some connections over at Fletcher Jones. Do you want me to get you connected over there? He was like, yeah, sure. And he's still pretty young. I think he was like 19 at the time. So listen to him talking about this is really key. So you think like, oh, yeah, if I could just get into Fletcher Jones, if I could just get into Fletcher Jones, make sure you are ready when you go to something like Fletcher Jones, or make sure you're ready to play in the NBA when you put yourself out for the NBA draft. Make sure you are ready because if you are not ready, you miss. Like you miss college, you miss the NBA, you could miss everything. So it, this is one of those one of those situations. He set me up with an, an interview at Fletcher with all of the management, which was twelve, you know, top tier top guys in the industry. I did a roundtable interview, which I'd never wow been in. You're 21 you know, years experience. old. Yeah, I'd never had that experience before. But when most I got, people never go through their whole career and never have that. No, experience. I know, and it wasn't. It wasn't. I wasn't necessarily. I wouldn't convince myself an interviewer like somebody that you know was good at it. But I think I like floored them because I answered questions that they didn't even had asked me. You know what I mean? Right, like yeah. I knew the industry. I knew what they were were expecting. You know, from guys. I think it's just kind of like one of these little car prodigies. You know, as he's talking about it, it's like you know, it's just so nice when people find their perfect fit. But just listen for yourself in these conversations. Are you this person? Are you the person who can go at 19 years old and sit at a round table with 12 managers, other salespeople, owners of? a very successful auto dealership or in any industry, you know, whatever the comparable industry would be and sell yourself. And that is exactly what you had to do in this situation, which he did. So listen to him talking about this experience and the decision about what do you do with school? So they offered me the position, but they said I had to leave school. I was still a full-time student. At that time I was at UCI. I'd finally gotten into a real school. And my parents were like, you are not leaving school. Completely. To I be can a see car this salesman. as a parent. Yeah, you are not leaving school. And I'm like, mom, you don't realize how much this of an opportunity. opportunity this is. I have to take this opportunity. So I left school and I took the position. What and year were you in school? I was like, I had one year left. One year to graduate after like seven years of putting yes. investment this into it. like a, a parent's nightmare. I'm yeah. sure your mom had like chest and, pain. For, and I'm like, mom, this is like weeks. NBA. This is like a kid in, it high, is. You know, exactly in high school. Right. And this is like him getting the opportunity to get into NFL or NBA. Right. And there are there are situations like this in your industry. So when, again, just listening to him, be ready for this opportunity. But also, again, be careful what you wish for, because what happens now, now you don't finish school, you go on with your career path, which is awesome, and you've made it essentially. And then what is one of the possibilities of something that can happen? But the thing is, when I left school, I went to Fletcher, and this was the first time I was selling cars while I was not in school. So when you're in school, and you have a job, you feel yeah. like that job is just a job. Second. It's yeah. not a career. Right. It's not until you go. You this know, is once, a really important point. Yeah, too. Once yeah. I once I left UCI and I went into Fletcher and it was my my career. Mm-hmm. That's when it kind of dawned on me. This is you, dude. This is what you're going to do. You, there's no there's excuse no anymore. Yeah, yeah, you're not. You can't tell. You can't tell somebody. I'm still in school trying mm-hmm. to figure things out. You figured things out at this point, supposedly. Right. So, you know, I kind of had a like this con. It, it, it hit me like psychologically where I don't know. I wasn't happy. Life should be a combination of work and happiness. Yes. It cannot all just be work. Right. And there it was all work. Like to the bone. Like you were t- like stressing Exhausted. at night and thinking about well, was, how am I going to make yeah, my numbers sleep. and how I, am I going to get this done. My blood pressure was, was like skyrocketing. I gained so much weight. Everything okay. about my, my life was just falling apart. So it was because I think I had left school and I knew that, you know, in that back of my mind. And your mind, parents uh, like are yeah, talking in your, even though they're not saying anything. And the money like was there. I was making tons of money. 
Right. That's so difficult. I mean, you're young, you're, you've made it and you're making good money and you can continue to make really good money. It's not like this is a one-time thing. This will go on for your career. And then I love what he talks about here in terms of what's going on for him personally. And that's a listen to your body, listen to yourself, look for the signs that this is not working or there might be a better way. And that's kind of where he came to in this story. I probably would have made much, much, much more money than I make now. Yeah. But I don't know. You don't I mean, know. Based on where I was at, you know, you know, personally. And at what cost? Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. Is it yeah. worth it? Is it worth it to, mm-hmm. to make all this money and be, you know, this guy? Not, not who a I family. Don't like? and, and by the way, I'll just say now, fast forward on this story, he makes really good money now. So you just don't, you just don't know what, how this is going to, how this is going to go. But in that, he also talks about struggling with business partners and having that security. So important to know about yourself wherever you are in your career as it evolves is how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. He has a really good little discourse here about that. How to sacrifice the first couple of years and expect not to make a dollar if Mm -hmm. you want to make a business work because it's all about creating the foundation for that growth. Yes. And it's It's all about... I, I liken it to like... Um, building a new house, yeah. right? So it, your house doesn't get built in a day. You can't sell it tomorrow for $5 million no. or $250,000 yeah. or whatever you're going to sell your house for if it's not built. So yeah. it's like, it takes time it to takes build time. that so if house. You have, yeah. If you were like, if you're like me and you don't have a family to support, you can take a hit for mm-hmm. a couple of years. Or if you plan for it, if you have a family and you or plan if you for do it, that, yeah. or if you can straddle, like I was saying, yeah, you, know, you could these straddle. These guys couldn't. Can, so yeah. a year into okay. our, our, you know, our business, I bought them out. They couldn't they couldn't do it. They didn't want to do it. You know, for them, it. it was almost like a demotion mm-hmm. for them because they yeah. came from management and at management level, you weren't dealing with customers one-on-one. You well, had the and your, your monetary, right. The way you make money is not on yeah. performance. It's on everyone's performance yes, through the entire right. lot. So for them, they didn't have to sell the way I had to sell for so many years. So they didn't have that. They did probably when they first started, but it had been years since they'd been doing that. Yeah, so I they were like, I don't want to be a salesman anymore. This is a really important personality point, too, when he talks about this. Also, you know, wherever you are in your career and your life. But personality-wise, again, that restlessness is entrepreneurship. It just, you get that kind of, I, I need to be free. I need to have a correlation directly between the work that I'm doing and the monetary, you know, rewards or the work that I'm doing and the, the way that I can live my life rewards, you know, lifestyle perks, et cetera. And people who, if you find yourself in a different situation where you're kind of struggling up against walls and ceilings and ways that it has to be that might be a calling for entrepreneurship and that is certainly what Rami has here. So what do those skills do for you because once you have your own business you have a lot of skills actually if you've ever owned your own business even if you end up going back into you know corporate world or you know some other aspect. Rami ends up in the recession in 2008 you know the biggest recession in our lifetime for all of this and think housing crisis, but that all trickles down to cars. So what was he able to do during the recession? I was consulting for Kelly Blue mm-hmm. because I was very unique, you know, and then I knew the industry on both sides, the consumer side and the dealer side. Yes. So Kelly Blue Book hired me for a year and I worked for them full time while, the, you know, during the recession to help them, Smart. you know, with, with their, you know, advertising for dealers and, and, and their information that people are gathering for consumers. So I, I, I consulted for over a year there. And I was still working here because it was down the street. Yeah. So I was able to maintain the two, my business and the consulting. So important. That's such an important point you're making. Yeah, exactly. You can't give up. You just, right. that's the thing. It's like, I was ready to, cause it was, it was difficult. 
And honestly, I was selling model cars even on eBay. Yeah, of course. And during the recession, I mean, I did everything. You're an entrepreneur. I could do. You're yeah, do I did it. everything I could do to just keep my keep afloat and but keep my, the doors open. The, yeah. The, 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 from the beginning, the whole concept was, what can I? What kind of business can I run that doesn't cost that much to run? So it's smart the way that he thought about it. And also, that's just the way that he likes to do business. He's not a guy, if you're around him for a little while, you'll see he's not the guy that wants like all these roots and entanglements in terms of that. He loves, you know, doing one thing, then moving on, then doing the next thing, then moving on. What else can I do? What more is there? That kind of thing. So what's the coolest thing about his job, thinking about his personality? The coolest thing about being a broker, if you love cars, is that you sell everything. You know what I mean? And if you're passionate about cars and somebody wants to buy a Ferrari or a Porsche, they can sense that you love what you're selling. They definitely can. And I learned so much on this interview because I thought if you had a lot of money that you could just go and buy a Ferrari, but that apparently is not true. So listen to him talk about that experience. With Ferrari, it's not. It's one of those manufacturers that really you know, is uh, particular about who they let buy their cars. So you know, there's a used Ferrari anybody can buy, but a brand new Ferrari, you have to have an established relationship in order to buy it. You know, you have to purchase a couple of used ones prior or purchase a California, which is a Ferrari brand new, but it's not considered a real Ferrari. So that Other would be your entry level, that, entry level yeah. Ferrari. That would be your, you know, I'm trying to establish my, you know, my relationship with the brand. If you don't want to buy something used, because you can buy a used Ferrari from anyone. Mm-hmm. And if you buy like an F40 or, an, or some significant kind of Ferrari, you're establishing yourself as someone that's serious, serious. about Ferrari. Okay. So cool. He has a really cool story in the whole interview about selling his first Ferrari, you know, getting this Ferrari for a customer. So listen to him talking about the pinnacle of his auto broker life. Selling him a 430 Scuderia was to me like the pinnacle of my my career saying, look, Rami, you just sold a Ferrari, dude. So awesome. I mean, I, I just think every 15-year-old kid in the world right now is like, yes, like that's awesome. I mean, that's just amazing. That's awesome. I'm not even close to 15 and I think it's amazing. So cool. So that's the kind of stuff that you get to do. And just think of the people that you would meet too and doing this kind of work. I mean, just all kinds of people. You just you also have to be that person who can just engage with people. You know, someone might be buying a Toyota Corolla and then the next time you're, you know, selling this Ferrari. So just all across the board. And then you get special treatment at auto shows and um, when he goes to do this all this travel work it's really cool that he did all through Europe you get to have some backstage pass if you will into the auto manufacturers the you know Porsches and BMWs and those really just cool amazing so what kind of advice would he have if you're younger and you don't really have this great passion or you can't do something with your passion just yet you got to be strategic about if if you have a passion and you want to get into something that's that you're passionate about you should most likely be successful if you put your heart and soul into it and you put the hard work into it if you don't then you need to kind of be strategic about what you want to do with your life and you need to think about who you know, who's going to open doors, how potentially you could get into you know, just a career that's going to pay the bills. You don't have to necessarily get into a business or into a job that you love. If you're good at something and you are you know, going to show that eventually, yeah. you'll somehow, sometimes it'll just fall into your lap. He gives a great story there too about his 
his sister's career trajectory and how she was linked up with, you know, family connections to get this executive assistant job. But she really enjoys photography and social media. And they essentially, she did so well at her assistant job that they promoted her and made a job for her as essentially like a social media manager to to work on all their social media. Now she's killing it and loving it. So he makes such an important point there about think about who you know, but think about who you could know from doing a job well. So go get that job, do an amazing job, do do so well at that, and then figure out within that job, you know, who can help you to do what you really want to be doing. So along with that, here's a little blurb about just being passionate. It doesn't have to be cars. If you're passionate about something and yes. that's what you end up going into as your career, you're going to be successful if you're passionate about it. That's my theory. I think he's right. If you if you line up what you love to do and what you're good at, that is the key. What do you love and what are you good at? Because you could love cars and you could manufacture cars. You could design cars. You could sell cars. You could sell cars to dealers. You could have your own dealership. There's a, You could be an auto detailer. There are so many ways that you could love cars. And then it's a matter of what are you good at around that passion. So line up those two things. Really important point he makes there. And then just to close, Rami's just such a amazing guy. Really, we are around him and you're just like, I could just hang out here all day. Although he probably wouldn't want to because he's like, you know, really frenetic. He's got a lot of stuff going on. But I could sit there and hang out with him all day. He just has a really cool, exciting energy about him, but like in a really grounded, exceedingly grounded way. And he gets that from you know, obviously his upbringing and his parents and all that, but the way that he has chosen to exhibit his career life, I think supports being who he is and just being this really happy person in life. So listen to him talking about that. I'm very passionate, so it doesn't seem as much like work. So that's what I think is the key. If you want to to enjoy your life, you know, with what you do and with your career, if you are doing something you love, it's not as much of a burden. It's not doesn't feel like I'm going to work. I don't dread coming into work. I don't dread working if I'm on vacation. It's to me, everyone's like, why are you working? You're on vacation. It's awesome. Like, I love it. I don't give a yeah, shit. Right. You know, when you're matter. in Europe, it's morning time, right? When everyone else is going to sleep. So it's perfect. So when I was in, you know, in Stuttgart, in Vienna and any of these places, I was sitting there working, selling cars at 11 o'clock their time because it was 10 a.m. Right. our time here. So it was like perfect. So cool. So there you have it. There's your fast track to be an auto broker. And again, that's someone who will shuttle you through the whole process. So be sure and call by fleetdirect.com. You can go find him. Rami Baruti was our guest today here on Career Goals. I'm Chris Calvert, and we will see you next time. Taking care of me.